Hi everyone, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. David here, your co-host on the Earth 2 podcast. Now, our Peter is still convalescing, still under doctor's orders not to speak or record podcasts. So what are we doing this week? Well, Peter can still edit, so he's curated an assemblage of last summer's Justice League of America issues 100 to 102, the Justice League Justice Society Seven Soldiers Epic, which featured our massive guest cast of fellow podcasters and friends and family. We stuck this together to tide you over as another special omnibus repeat. <laughs> we have plans, though, to hopefully try and get something else a bit more substantial sorted the next couple of weeks. Hopefully Peter will be back to full strength before too long and be able to carry on with our planned episodes. But in the meantime, here's an omnibus of The Return of the Seven Swords of Victory. Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, your weekly exploration of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. I'm Arian Zenos. I'm Robert George. I'm Christine Panton. I'm Steve Higgins. I'm Dan Butcher. I'm Rich Fulham. My name is Mick Pride. I'm Kenny Smith. I'm Jonathan. I'm Ranger Gord Tolton. I'm Logan McFarlane. I'm Vince Hunt. I'm Tony Esmond. I'm Ross Aiken. I'm the Irredeemable Shag. I'm Brandon Peters. I'm Karen Linden. I'm Gavin Ritsa. I'm Kaylee Blair. I'm Ali Steele. This is Chuck Lordens. I'm Max Traver. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We've been teasing this for a little while now. The 1972 JLA-JSA team-up. Issue 100 of the Justice League of America, published on the 20th of June 1972, Two days after Paul McCartney's 30th birthday. And without further ado, Peter's going to tell you about the cover. At the top, we have the usual Justice League of America shield with DC Justice League in the top left corner. All news stories, now only 20 cents. Down the left-hand column, we have the, well, part of the roll call for this issue, because certainly you can't fit it all in. We have Superman. Batman. The Flash. Green Lantern. Green Arrow. But the main image, the main image of this cover is a grave. There is uh, an assemblage of heroes at this grave on the left-hand side. We have some members of the Justice League of America, Superman, The Flash, Green Lantern and Batman. On the right-hand side, we have some members of the Justice Society of America, Our Man, Starman, Doctor Fate and Wonder Woman. And above the grave, we have ghostly figures. From left to right, it's the Star-Spangled Kid, Stripesy. The Vigilante, The Shining Knight, right in the centre, Crimson Avenger, Green Arrow, and Speedy. And the words on the headstone say, Here lies the unknown soldier of victory. And at the very bottom of this page, we have another banner that says, 33 Heroes, 33! The greatest gathering of superstars ever recorded. The 10th annual team-up of the Justice League and Justice Society in search of... The Seven, Seven Soldiers, Soldiers of, of Victory. Victory! Yes, at last. I've been prepping this one for a long time. I've been talking about it for ages. Recording started in February. I'm not going to tell you when recording completed. <laughs> <laughs> As you can probably tell from what we said in the past in our intro, we've roped in a few other friends and fam to help us out. A few other fellow podcasters. Thank you, everyone. I'm astonished that we all managed to fit into my living room, quite yes. frankly. And without further ado, we shall get on with the story, because that's why we're all here. Our opening splash image is very similar to the cover. The monument in the centre, with Unknown Soldier Victory written on it to the left, 
the Earth 1 heroes of the Justice League of America, including a few that we don't see in the cover. And to the right, the Earth 2 heroes of the Justice Society, including another couple of heroes that we don't see in the cover. And looming above them all, that ghostly image of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. A nice little text caption with fancy writing says, You are cordially invited to attend the greatest single gathering of superheroes ever recorded. The 100th anniversary meeting of the Justice League of America. And there's another larger caption underneath the the very arresting opening image, and that reads, On a lonely, windswept mountain peak, a solitary grave stands in mute testimony to the courage of a man, a warrior who fell in defense of his world, whose name is known only to God. Now, after many long years, others come in search of this doomed champion's forgotten identity. Can even the greatest heroes of two different Earths uncover the secret of... The Unknown Soldier of Victory! And the nice little scroll caption gives us the credits for this issue. A monumental masterwork presented by... Julius Schwartz, editor. Len Wein, writer. Dick Dillon and Joe Giella, artists. With thanks to the writers and artists who shaped this history-making adventure those many years ago. Awesome. Right, over the page into the story proper... Panel 1, we see the satellite headquarters of the Justice League of America spinning through space, and a caption reads, 22,300 miles above Earth's emerald surface at Worlds. A silent sentinel eternally on the alert for danger. The orbiting headquarters of the Justice League of America. Within its metallic confines, intricate monitoring devices go about their tasks, sending information humming down the sterile corridors. But... No one is there to notice. We see the League's meeting room. Empty chairs around an empty table. Flashing lights and equipment. And with all this in mind, Panel 3's caption says, Instead, voices can be heard echoing through a great granite chamber. The original mountain sanctuary of the JLA. We see Aquaman, Black Canary, Green Lantern, Green Arrow and Hawkman walking through a passageway lined with old electronic equipment and fringed by cobwebs. Aquaman says, Our hundredth meeting. I can hardly believe it. Seems like only yesterday that we first came together. Who was it said that time flies? And Green Arrow says, Probably Methuselah. But what did he know? Feels like a million years since I started slinging that bow of mine. Hawkman, with a bit of a crabby expression on his face, turns to Green Arrow in the next panel and says, Perhaps, Green Arrow, but you're not unique. We've all changed over the years. Out of necessity, I suppose. Maybe so, maybe no. Just seems that the more we learn about ourselves, the less we really understand. Green Lantern starts to speak in the next panel. Hey, this is supposed to be a celebration. Let's... The hero's heads whirl around and Hawkman exclaims, The telephone! How can that be? We had it disconnected months ago. Curiously, Hawkman plucks the receiver from its cradle and... A tiny figure! bursts from the earpiece, saying, Hi! Hope I'm not late! Black Canary says, Adam, how? And standing on a surface, with the others looking down at him, the mighty mate says in reply, Easy, Black Canary! Just a simple cross-circuiting trick I worked out. Hey, where is everybody? I figured the whole gang would be here by now. And a thoughtful Aquaman says, So did we, Adam. Wonder what's detaining the others. And on the off chance you're wondering too, dear reader, let's switch to a central city street and find out. We see the Flash creating a whirlwind with his arms that's lifting a couple of bad guys into the air as the elongated man stretches and contorts and lifts three other bad guys up in his right arm. The Flash says, 
Let's wrap up the casino gang and get a move on, Ralph. We're running late for the Justice League celebration. To which Ralph says, Right with you, Flash. This is one get-together I wouldn't miss for the world. A slow dissolve. The caption for panel four. And countless light years away, there stands a man who will miss the meeting for precisely that reason. And we see, with his back to the camera, so we can't see how his face is rendered at this point, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, watching some very Earth-like building and construction going on. Mm -hmm. There's scaffolding and trucks and lorries and stuff going on. It's very, very interesting. John is thinking to himself. I'd give almost anything to be with my Earth friends on this day of days. But there are more important things for me to do here. The Martian Manhunter has to rebuild a world. And if you're so inclined, you could take a drink here because there are two great lumps of rock hanging in the sky over Mars. And this is probably maybe two of the moons of Mars. So technically, if you want to, you could take two drinks. Deimos and Phobos. Showing off there. Mm. Over the page to page four, our first caption reads... From a world builder, we shift to the palatial estate of a world beater, industrialist Simon Stagg. Simon Stagg, making his first appearance in the podcast, I believe. Swept back, white hair, an angry-looking, irascible billionaire. He's shaking his fist and saying, Mason, where in blue blazes do you think you're going? And making his Earth 2 podcast debut properly, despite the fact that we mentioned him the other week, it's the Element Man Metamorpho who at this point is transforming into an aeroplane and flying away, saying, Sorry, Stagsy old pal. Rex Mason may be on your payroll, but Metamorpho the Element Man goes where he wants to go. And right now, he's flying to a party. Can you remember, Peter, when you first encountered Metamorpho? I was thinking about this the other day. I can't remember exactly. I think it was an issue of World's Finest okay. that he uh, guest-starred in and then... Shortly after that, I actually got one of his 60s appearances. What about yourself? I'm not sure. I think it must have been that period in the mid-80s when I was a Marvel guy and would look at DC Comics for Solemn occasionally. And he was probably one of those characters that I saw on the cover of an issue of Batman The Outsiders and didn't know who he was. <laughs> I remember when I was younger, his costume used to really annoy me because it wasn't, you know, kind of like symmetrical. Right. It was different colours and different areas and things like that. It just... It bugged me because I wanted things to look sort of mirrored. Interesting. Mm. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Paging Dr. Freud. The caption for panel two says, While half a continent away, a certain Snapper car gazes out his window and wonders. And Snapper is sitting looking very sad, holding his invitation in his hand as he thinks. Imagine, after the way I betrayed them, the JLA still invited me to their 100th anniversary. I'd give my right arm to go, but I can't. After what I did to them, I just couldn't face them again. There's an editor's footnote here which says, The story of Snapper's betrayal appeared in JLA 77. Which we didn't do, but if you're so inclined, you can go and look it out. Now, the caption for the next panel says, And in the shadow-strewn back alleys of Gotham City, Two armed goons, a younger man and an older guy in a hat, are caught in the act, and with a full moon looming in the background, a familiar dark avenging figure swings into view on a line. The younger goon cries, Batman, we've had it! And his older pal says, oh, Stop falling all over your mouth, Marty, and plug him. He's just one guy. In the final panel of page four, Batman takes out Marty with a punch and sorts out the older guy with a kick to the head. <laughs> Amazing. Thinking as he does so, You'd think by now these punks would know better. I'd better wrap them up and get moving. I've got to stop to make on my way to the JLA meeting. 
a slow dissolve now as we arrive at the top of page five. And a caption says... And 23 trillion miles from Earth on a lush planet orbiting the star sun Alpha Centauri, two familiar figures arc through the emerald sky. Yes, we see Adam Strange and Alana flying along with their jetpacks. And Adam says... According to Sardas' calculations, the Zeta Beam won't wear off for several days. Too late for me to attend the Justice League extravaganza. Alana, darling, they'll just have to get along without Adam Strange. And another Andy Footnote interrupts us and tells us... The Zeta Beam is a teleportational beam that Earthman Adam Strange uses to travel instantly to the planet Ran. Awesome! Panel 2 is captioned... At last we come full circle and return to the JLA's labyrinthine mountain sanctuary... More heroes have arrived for the party. Left to right, in this panel, we see The Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Aquaman, Black Canary, Green Arrow, and Superman. Superman is saying, 100 meetings is a long time, Flash. Lots of things can happen. Flash replies, I'll say, I was a rookie police scientist when I joined this group. Now I'm a married man. There is a sudden burst of golden light, and a voice says, Really, Flash, that's the most depressing thing I've heard all day. Can't you change the subject? Superman exclaims, Zatanna? And Flash says, You have the most disconcerting way of dropping in on people. But welcome to the festivities. And in the next panel, Batman arrives with a familiar friend who's all dressed in white. Batman says, Greetings, people. Look who I picked up. And Superman says, Diana Prince, Wonder Woman. How good to see you again. And Diana replies, I almost didn't come, Superman. Your friend here had to twist my arm. And final panel, page five we see on a table in the background a beautiful three-tiered cake mm. with justice league of america written on its base and a nice 100 in digits on the top green lantern uses his power ring to create a large cake slice and he says well now that you are here why don't you use that pretty arm of yours to help cut the cake i'm starving to which black canary says you man all y'all ever think about is your stomachs and at the top of page six Metamorpho says, When you have a cast iron stomach like I do, sweetheart, what you put into it doesn't make much difference. And as Zatanna, Diana, and Black Canary maneuver the enormous cake slice into position, Canary replies, If you like, Metamorpho, we can save the cake cutter for you. To you, it would probably taste delicious. Green Arrow pipes up with, Come on, girls. Less talk and more action. I'm... I'm growing faint with hunger. And in panel two, Hawkman says, Green Arrow, you are growing faint. And Batman says, We all are. Everything has gone very dark. And a weird rushing effect seems to be washing its way over our heroes. Zatanna says, What's happening to us? Zatanna's fearful question echoes over and over through the rock-hewn halls. But there is nobody left to answer. There is more rippling and rushing as the heroes vanish from sight. And the cake slicer Green Lantern created falls to the ground with a... Should it have stayed there after he vanished? Anyway, I don't know. The captioning continues. Instead, the hapless heroes feel themselves falling through a void. And when light fills their eyes once more... The heroes are all forming amidst a golden glow, as the elongated man says, Where on earth are we now? To which Flash replies, You don't know? Oh, that's right. Ralph's never been here before. And in the final panel of page six, we see a very gloomy-looking bunch of very familiar heroes. And the Flash continues, saying, Rav Dibney, permit me to introduce the legendary Justice Society of America. The very large first panel of page seven introduces us to the assembled of two heroes. The Justice Society of America. 
dynamic defenders of another Earth bandied together in the cause of righteousness. Starman, manipulator of the awesome cosmic rod. Doctor Fate, mystic master of occult and eldritch forces. The Sandman, grim crusader who haunts the dreams of the lawless. Johnny Thunder, muddled master of the magical Badnesian thunderbolts. Wildcat, ex-heavyweight champion who wields his fists in the cause of justice. The Red Tornado, faceless android whirlwind. Dr. Midnight, blind battler for honor and truth. Wonder Woman, the amazing Amazon princess. And the Hour Man, whose miracle pill gives him supercharged energy for 60 fleeting minutes. Gosh, the caption for panel 2 of page 7 says, And after the proper salutations have been exchanged, we see Green Lantern, Flash and Aquaman, all of Earth 1, remember, lined up kind of like that Emerson, Lake and Palmer album, which is quite funny. <laughs> yes. The Flash says, You people look like you've been dragged through the mud. What's been happening around here? Aquaman says, Yes. Why did you bring us to Earth 2 so abruptly? Before Dr. Fate answers, a footnote reminds us... Earth 2 is an almost duplicate world, occupying the same space as ours, but vibrating at a different speed. Interesting. Dr. Fate then replies in the final panel of page 7... We have need of help, Aquaman. The sort of help only you and your colleagues can give. Come, I will show you what I mean. And the caption for the first panel of page 8 says... The stellar sorcerer strides slowly to the centre of the chamber... Silently muttering incantations long thought forgotten, and visions blossom in the dusty air before him. Yes, Dr. Fate gestures, both hands wide, sparks flying from his fists. And an image appears of the Earth in space, looking like it's about to be grasped by an enormous pale green and sharply taloned hand. The Wonder Wizard speaks. This is why I brought you here, Justice League. The reason my mystic powers snatched you from across the dimensional barriers. Look upon the hand that holds the earth. Twice we have tried to release that evil hand's grip upon our world, and twice we have failed. We are in sore need of help, my friends. That is why we turn to you. Green Lantern Hal Jordan says at this point, I'm not certain we could fare any better, Dr. Fate, unless we know more about that hand. What's it made of? Where's it come from? In the next panel, our man stands before Dr. Fate's projected image and says, We are still trying to puzzle out those same questions, Green Lantern, and all we do know is it belongs to a menace who calls himself the Iron Hand. He has given us 48 hours to turn supreme domination of Earth over to him, or that fantastic fist will close and crush our planet to atoms. Our man gets a nice close-up to round out Mm -hmm. page 8, and at the top of page 9, Dr. Fate continues, You see then our predicament. We are confronted by questions that cry out for answers, but there are none to be had. He gestures again towards a large, shining globe on a pedestal nearby. In desperation, I turn to my mystic crystal in hopes of solution. The other heroes look on. But this is all that was revealed to me. An image forms within the mystic crystal globe, and it shows a monument. Flanked by bare, skeletal trees, Hawkman says... A grave. The monument has writing on it that reads, Here in honoured glory rests an unknown soldier of victory who died that his world might live. Which prompts Satana to ask, That inscription, what does it mean? Dr. Fate answers in the next panel, saying, Again, I know not. 
I could pierce the crystal veil no farther. But with your presence here, Zatanna, the scales may at last be tipped in our favour. Me? What can I do that Dr. Fate can't? Somewhere beyond the mists of time and space exists the entity known as Oracle, from whom no secrets are withheld. My own abilities are not potent enough to penetrate the barrier, but were we to add your powers, Zatanna, along with those of Johnny Thunder's genie-like servant to my own, we might have a chance. Johnny smiles and clicks his fingers as he says, Gotcha, Doc. Old Thunderbolt will be here in two shakes. Say you! And amazingly, as Johnny Thunder utters the ancient Batnesian chant, Say you! Say you! There's a burst of blue light! And the pink Thunderbolt appears, saying, Rang, old master of the muddled and mundane! To which Johnny says, T-Bolt! Doc Fate and the gang need your help. That's what I'm here for, bright eyes. And in panel one of page ten, we see Dr. Fate, Zatanna and the Thunderbolt standing around a burning crucible on a pedestal. Their arms raised and all clasped joined together. The caption reads, Soon darkness envelops the room. An overpowering shadow turned away only by the glow of burning embers and the blazing voice of Dr. Fate. Oracle! You who walk with worlds as your stepping stones, hear my words. We who speak your name in the most humble of voices have need of you this day. Come to us, Oracle. We beseech thee, come to us. And the caption for panel two reads, There is a singing in the Stygian gloom, the vibrant sound of worlds long gone and galaxies just a-borning, the willful hum of eternity as it skims across the fabric of the cosmos. And then... There comes a presence to the Justice Society's hidden sanctum. A figure forms out of the smoke from the pedestal, looming over Dr. Fate Zatanna and the Thunderbolt. A man in long purple robes, with pale skin, long blonde hair, moustache and beard. His eyes are solid, glowing blue, with bursts of red energy within. This new arrival speaks. Who dares call Oracle from the realm beyond? Dr. Fate replies. I dare, Oracle. I, Dr. Fate, who ask no more than a moment's indulgence from one as omnipotent as you. The enormous figure looks down at Fate in the final panel of page 10, saying, A moment can be an eternity to some, impudent one, but the name of Dr. Fate has reached my ears often, and naught but good has been said. So, speak what you will, and Oracle will listen. And the caption for the first panel of page 11 says, After the tale has been retold once more... Looming over the heroes, Oracle says, You seek solutions, Dr. Fate, but that is one thing Oracle cannot give. Your destiny is your own. Oracle can but relate what has been and allow you to choose your own course of action. Even he is not permitted to reveal the future. The gas-masked figure of the Golden Age Sandman, Wesley Dodds, says at this point, Where's the leave us now? If Oracle can't help us, nobody can. Interesting that Wesley's there, actually, given that part of his power is premonition mm. of a sort. That's quite interesting. I think it's mm-hmm. interesting. Oracle gets a close-up in panel two. You misunderstand, Sandman. I did not refuse to help you. Come, gaze deeply into the eyes of Oracle, and perhaps you will find what you seek. He continues in the next panel. Many of your years ago, a menace similar to the one you now face bestrode your world. The awesome giant, Earthman, the Nebula Man. 
Many of your people fell before the might of this bizarre conqueror until there was only a handful who dared stand against him. Yes, we see the nebula man standing amidst what appears to be some urban wreckage. He's obviously trashed a city or something. And he's an almost featureless humanoid form. His body is a dark glowing purple, surrounded by an aura and scattered through with points of glowing yellow. Oracle continues. At the top of your world they met, these bones champions and terrible titan, and the earth rang with the sounds of their savage battle, until finally these heroes too fell before the Colossus. And we see Nebula Man battling seven colourful figures. One, grasped in its left hand, is a man in a blue shirt, wearing a white cowboy hat, a red scarf face mask and spurred boots. Swinging in on lines! are two figures, one dressed in red with yellow gloves and boots, the other in green with red accessories. Both wear Robin Hood-style hats. Trying to wrestle Nebula Man's neck is a man in golden armour wearing a scarlet tunic with a sword at his belt. Rushing towards the action are the others, one in red leggings and a blue cowl and top covered in stars, and another in blue leggings and a top of red and white hoops. Another figure in tight-fitting red brings up the rear. Oracle's narration of these events continues at the start of page 12. But these valiant warriors were not to be defeated. Again, they rose in combat with a new weapon at their command, with one of them sacrificing his life to use that secret weapon to full effect. We see the Nebula Man in the silhouette of a twisting body, falling through dark clouds. Such was the courage of the seven soldiers of victory. We return to Oracle and the assembled JLA and JSAers, a Starman says, Then that explains the grave. The dead soldier of victory is buried there. Sure, says Wildcat. The seven soldiers of victory. We should have thought of them sooner. They, they... Hey, wait a second. There's something wrong here. Then he throws his hands in the air and yells, I can't remember. Who in blazes are the seven soldiers of victory? Our man looks thoughtful. The next panel strokes his chin and says, Come to think of it, I can't remember either. Beats me, chums. I'm stumped, says Johnny Thunder. And Batman says, Well, don't ask us. Nobody in the JLA remembers the Seven Soldiers at all. Not even Vigilante? But we'll come back to that. (laughs) Green Arrow raises a finger to Oracle in the final panel of page 12, and he says, Okay, Space Face, you've had your jollies. Now let us in on your little secret. Who were the Seven Soldiers of Victory? Curious, you should ask Green Arrow, for you, of all who stand here, have the greatest affinity for said group. Gaze into the eyes of Oracle once more, and you shall see why. Page 13, which will probably definitely end up in the socials, is a full image of Oracle surrounded by the Seven Soldiers. As he narrates, and introduces us properly to... The Seven Soldiers of Victory were not unlike yourselves. Bold adventurers gathered together in the name of freedom... The Vigilante, in reality, Greg Sanders, the Prairie Troubadour, who fought crimes of the city with the weapons of the plains. The Star-Spangled Kid and Stripesy, actually wealthy young Sylvester Pemberton and his bodyguard chauffeur Pat Dugan, who battled injustice in the astonishing Star Rocket Racer. The Crimson Avenger, crusading newspaper publisher Lee Travis, who, with the help of his aide Wing, carried his campaign of crime prevention into the underworld's darkest holds. Sir Justin, the Shining Knight, time-tossed paladin of King Arthur's court, 
who rode the flying steed winged victory against the forces of corruption. The Green Arrow and Speedy, millionaire financier Oliver Queen and his young ward Roy Harper, who bent their longbows to protect the innocent from the grasping claw of evil. Back in the room, the Justice League's Green Arrow says, So Earth 2 has a counterpart of me too? So what? Half the JLA has twins on this world. That still doesn't explain why none of us can remember those dudes. The reason Green Arrow is simple. You do not recall the Seven Soldiers because they no longer exist. Wonder Woman of Earth 2 covers her face in surprise and says, The Seven Soldiers were our only hope of destroying that horrible hand. If they are dead, so are our chances for survival. Again is Oracle misunderstood. I meant merely that the Seven Soldiers did not exist in this world any longer. At no point did Oracle mention their deaths. The devil you didn't, says Wildcat. What about that grave on the mountain? And the elongated man says, My twitching nose smells a strange mystery here. If those missing heroes aren't dead, where are they? And as Oracle speaks, another image is shown of the Seven Soldiers battling. The Nebula Man. They are gone, elongated man, from this time and this place. Mighty were the forces unleashed in the climatic battle against the hell-spawned Nebula Man. Forces which tore apart the very fabric of their existences and hurled them headlong through time's infinite corridor. Standing on Aquaman's shoulder, the Atom says, Then they might just as well be dead for all the good they'll do us. If what you say is true... Finding them will be like looking for seven tiny needles in a universal haystack. We wouldn't stand a cosmic chance. Yours are defeatist, Mouthings Atom, and you are wrong. Just what is that supposed to mean? Though the gates of the future are locked, the past is Oracle's province. If you would seek those seven missing sentinels, Oracle will point the way for you. Dr. Fate addresses Oracle in the next panel, saying... Have we any alternative? The future of our world hangs by a single fragile thread. We accept your generous offer, Oracle. Show us the way. The Oracle gestures and says, Down seven of time's corridors must you walk. So deploy your fellows carefully. For those you pursue may no longer be what once they were. And the large final panel, page 15, is captioned. Beneath Oracle's eternal watchful gaze, the greatest heroes of two worlds separate into seven groups. Seven bold chances for the salvation of a world. Yes, this is the stuff. So we see all the, the little teams that have all formed. We see Aquaman with Green Lantern, Hal Jordan and Wildcat. That's a bit random. Even more random, we see Wesley Dodds the Sandman with Metamorpho and Superman. We see Red Tornado with Zatanna and The Flash. That just about works. We see Black Canary with Green Arrow and Johnny Thunder. We see Dr. Fate and the Elongated Man with the Atom perched on Dr. Fate's shoulder. And we see Wonder Woman of Earth 2 with Dr. Midnight and Hawkman. And finally we see the lads. We see Batman, Starman and Hourman. And in the first panel of page 16, Batman says to someone who I didn't mention there, Diana, how about coming along with Hourman, Starman and me? I'd like to, Batman, but I think I'll stay here. There should be somebody left to brief anyone else who might arrive after you've departed. If that's the way you want it, Miss Prince, but we'd really like to. But Batman is interrupted by Oracle, who raises both hands in the air, casting a golden glow and saying, Enough! It is time! 
The power that is Oracle now opens the Colonel Corridors for you and speeds you on your quest. And Diana Prince watches as the golden glow starts to spread among the heroes. Batman waves to her and says, Take care of things, Diana, and wishes luck. His voice fades out, and in a very moodily lit shot, Diana replies more to herself than anything else. Good luck, Batman. I pray to Aphrodite that you won't need it. And the final panel of page 16 is captioned. Beyond the meagre boundaries of reality, 21 colourful figures flash through the abstract void. There's an image of Oracle's face with all the heroes flying towards him in their groups. Dr. Fate says, Oracle, for our search to be successful, we must know more of those we seek. How did the seven soldiers of victory come to be? And at the top of page 17, there's another headshot of Oracle who says, and we see in his eyes the face of someone we'll meet properly in a sec, called the Hand. An older man with sweat back white hair and an incredibly neat dark moustache. Oracle then essentially goes on to narrate a retelling of a show of leading comics. So if you have your copy of the Seven Soldiers of Victory Archive, Volume 1 handy, maybe pause now and have a quick flick through that, or else go back to it. Anyway, Oracle says... Turn your minds back through the years to a time before the Seven you seek at mercy. Back to the hidden sanctuary of the Archfilin, who then was called only the Hand. Turn back to a time when this master manipulator had gathered unto him the five greatest menaces your world had then known. And we see the Hand, in a nice smart green suit at this point, address a group of other villains who sat round a table. There's Merlin, neatly turned out, monocle wearer, his facial hair makes him look a good candidate for hosting a, a DC horror anthology mm-hmm. with the word house in the title. <laughs> the Needle, who looks like a cross between Captain Boomerang and the Elongated Man. This chap's a purple outfit with a really bad receding hairline. The Dummy, a malevolent ventriloquist doll. The Red Dragon, a scary looking man in a top hat with a red veil type mask covering his face and an evening suit. And Big Caesar, the most ordinary looking one of them all. A baddie, a buff, scruffy guy wearing a cap. Within Oracle's flashback, the Hand is saying, They tell me I'm going to die, which is why I've brought you here. The Hand will not die unremembered. You five will commit history's greatest crimes at my command, and all the lawmen in the world won't be able to stop you. Oracle continues to narrate, But the Hand was incorrect, for Green Arrow and Speedy met the malevolent Professor Merlin and his minions in blistering Death Valley, stopping the theft of a fabulous gold mine. And we see Ollie and Roy firing arrows and trapping goons against some cactuses or cacti, which is fun, as Merlin watches. The agile star-spangled kid and stripesy battled their old foe, the Needle, in the Panama Canal Zone to protect a scientist and his vital ray device top of a building, process of being constructed, and with a crescent moon hanging in the background to so take a sip of your drink, we see the star-spangled kid and Stripesy in conflict with their skinny foe. The shining knight flew to the hidden Wamoma Valley to protect its simple gentle inhabitants and their treasure from the sinister red dragon. And we see Sir Justin on wing victory flying in to confront the red dragon as they're both fired upon with a, a bad guy with a machine gun. Arriving at the top of page 18, the Crimson Avenger and his Aide Wing journeyed to Teeming Times Square to stop Vicious Big Caesar from causing a power blackout that would leave New York City open to mass robbery. And among and atop 
the neon lights, we see Lee Travis and his chum tackle Caesar's goons. An vigilante race to Hollywood to smash a bizarre blackmail plot devised by the diabolical dummy. We see the dummy looking on angrily as Greg Sanders gets stuck into his henchman, which is a great panel. If only there's going to be room for it in the socials. At last, the winding paths of those seven brave sentinels led them to the hideaway of the hand himself and into the center of an electronic trap. See, the hand is about to operate a switch and a piece of machinery above him. It's a large metal cone. But a well-placed bullet from the vigilante severed the weapon's supports and ended the hand's criminal career, seemingly forever. And the aforementioned cone-shaped structure falls down and strikes the hand in the back, knocking him to the floor. Looks very painful. Oracle concludes this little history lesson, again facing the flying heroes. So well did they manage to defeat that monumental menace that they banded together at the Shining Knight's suggestion to become the Seven Soldiers of Victory. And amongst all the flying heroes, the two doctors are most visible as Dr. Fate says, An amazing story, Oracle, but tell us more of the hand. Why did you say only seemingly forever? All will be revealed to you in time. But now, Oracle must feed you through your points of rendezvous. For the quest has begun. And with that, the heroes all fade out as Oracle directs them to their destinations. And so, we arrive at the top of page 19. The afternoon air shimmers as three daring travellers step through the curtain of time. And there are logos for Doctor Fate, the Atom and the Elongated Man. The silhouetted forms of the three heroes blink into existence. Elongated Man says, Wow! Oracle sure doesn't waste any time. Where do you figure he landed us, Doc? Judging from the architecture, elongated man, I would assume Mexico, during the height of the Aztec reign. And perched on Dr. Fate's shoulder, the Atom says, I agree, the local attire fits that era perfectly. We can see in the background, the distance, a massive temple structure and hundreds of people surrounding it. Elongated man says, From the looks of that crowd, I'd say we're in time for something important. Our view moves closer. We get a better look at the temple and the steps leading up to the summit. Hey, fellas! Take a look at the top of the temple! A cloud of scarlet smoke, the trademark of the Crimson Avenger. And we see the Avenger in his distinct red costume with its distinct chest emblem. His uniform has been enhanced by a headdress and a robe of feathers. He's surrounded by spear-bearing guards as Dr. Fate continues. We found our man, but he's become king of the Aztecs. Crimson has his hands spread wide as he looks down at the crowds all around him. A slow dissolve then as we arrive at the top of page 20. A short while later when the tumultuous crowd has finally dispersed. The three heroes are following the Crimson and his two guards, taking care not to be seen. Dr. Fate whispers, Tread softly, friends. We'd best follow our Crimson Quarry and his companions to quieter quarters before we take any action. Elongated Man replies, I'm way ahead of you, Doc. Cautiously, the costume trio approaches the great edifice. Dr. Fate mouths a mystic chant and... In a Kitty Pride style, they phase through the wall of the temple to emerge in a large chamber. And in the background, in an alcove on the wall, you can see a large glowing pink rock. The Crimson is still in full regalia and he's sat on a throne. Elongated Man says... A terrific opening, Doc. But it'll never replace the door... This is no time for humour, Mr. Dibney. The Crimson Avenger is well guarded. We'd better attract his attention. On the caption for panel three. 
And moments later... Elongated man stretches towards the crimson with a finger to his lips, and he whispers, Psst. Avenger, keep quiet. We're here to help you escape. The crimson whirls around and sees the other heroes. He cries, What? Intruders! Guards, come quickly, quickly! Something tells me we made a boo-boo, says the elongated man. Let's get the heck out of here, says the atom. In the final panel of page 20, the crimson stands and blasts bolts of electricity from his hands at the heroes, saying, You'll be going nowhere, strange ones, till you answer some questions. The heroes are all knocked out, falling backwards. Dr. Fate exclaims, Ugh! Excellent. That's my favourite bit ever. The top of page 21 now. When the soldiers three come to... Soldiers three, let's be honest, sounds like a crap superhero team name that Roy <laughs> Thomas would have tried to introduce at Marvel two or three years before this. Yeah. Elongated Man and Dr. Fate are chained to a wall, their hands above their heads. Elongated Man says... What did the Crimson Avenger hit us with? I feel like a stretched out rubber band. My condition is not unlike yours, friend Dibney. These chains do little to ease the discomfort. Is the Atom awake yet? And suddenly the Atom, still shrunk to dog size, drops into view, landing on Dr. Fate's shoulder, saying, Surprise a spring, Doc. I'm so small the Avenger and his goons didn't even notice me. The Crimson can be seen arriving in the bottom corner of panel 2, and in panel 3, we see the Atom has moved round to hide behind Dr. Fate's helmet as the Crimson Avenger addresses them and says, So prisoners, you are awake at last. Who sent you to spy on Witzelopachli, the Sun God? Sun God? You're no Sun God. You're the Crimson Avenger, a hero we've journeyed through the centuries to find. And a very indignant-looking Crimson replies, I am a God. Who else could wield such power? The power given me when I fell from out the sky. Apparently, my friend, you're suffering from delusions, says Dr. Fate, and his hands suddenly flash with golden light as the chains binding him and elongated man shatter, setting them free. Dr. Fate says, A condition easily cured once we get you away from this time. The Crimson Avenger recoils backwards, crying out, What sorcery? They free themselves. Guards, guards! In the first panel of page 22, two guards arrive. One cries, Rash intruders, you are doomed! As Elongating Man stretches to deal with them across the room, Dr. Fate and the Crimson face each other. The Crimson says, I will not be so lenient again. This time I will turn you to ashes. Forgive me, my friend, but this time I fear I cannot cooperate so readily. And with that, in the next panel, the Crimson Avenger blasts his pink electrical energy and Dr. Fate fights back with his own golden burst, thinking, Wherever his powers stem from, they're awesome. I barely managed to maintain my ground. In panel three, Ralph punches out the guards, saying, I'd say you guys have been watching too many old Peter Lorre movies, except for the fact that they haven't invented television yet. And the guards, as they're punched out, make some nice noises like, Oof! Uh, in the shadows, the Atom thinks, E-Man is holding his own, but it looks like Dr. Fate's in trouble. And in panel four, he runs towards Dr. Fate and the Avenger, dodging Ralph and the guards as he thinks, I better lend my tiny talents to the good doctor while there's still time. That's assuming I don't get stepped on in the process. See him avoiding feet and shoes as he goes. And in panel five, the Atom jumps upwards, launching himself forwards, thinking, Phew! Made it! This swinging spear shaft will make a dandy little catapult to send me to the point of the matter. Namely, the point of the Crimson Avenger's jaw. And now, with a switch of my size and weight controls to give me the heft of a 180-pound man... And at that, the Atom successfully sends a Crimson flying backwards with a kick to the face. Uh. Superb! 
Dr. Fate says... Excellent, Atom. Bobby must discover the source of his powers before he regains consciousness. And in panel two, Elongated Man says... My mystery-loving nose has been hard at work through this skirmish, Doc, and it keeps sniffing out the same thing. And his left hand stretches towards the luminous pink rock in the alcove we saw earlier on in page 20. This strange glowing rock! Elongated Man continues, and then throws the rock into the air, saying... If I'm wrong, we can apologize later. But if I'm right, we'd better get rid of the rock fast. I am in complete agreement, Ralph. And in panel four, Dr. Fate blasts it. Shattering the rock into many pieces. And Dr. Fate says, And so the rock is gone. And the caption for the final panel of page 23 says, And when the echoes of the explosion fade, the crimson rubs his forehead and says, Where am I? What's happened to me? Who are you? Dr. Fate gestures, creating a transparent globe around the guards and then replies, First a spell of suspension to restrain your guards, and then all will be explained to you. Top of page 24, the first caption reads, After explanations are made... The Crimson Avenger discards his robe and headdress, throwing them onto the throne as he says, A fantastic story. Apparently when I was hurled through time, a chunk of the shattered Nebula Man was thrown along with me stealing my memory, and imbuing me with the powers you describe. Suddenly, a cloud started to surround the heroes as the Crimson says, What is it? That smoke! It's not crimson like my own. Unless I am mistaken, Avenger, it is our passport to the future. Oracle is bringing us home. To which the Atom says, Yeah, but is he bringing us home in time? And in a darkened laboratory, in another plane of existence, there is another whose thoughts are concerned with time. A darkly silhouetted figure looks up at a screen showing Earth in the grip of an enormous green hand. And at the large clock on the wall in front of him, he says, They move so slowly, the hands of the clock, almost as if they were taunting me, telling me I will not succeed. And in the final panel of this issue, this figure is revealed. In the spotlight, a familiar figure of an older white man with swept back white hair and a neat dark moustache. He's wearing an orange tunic with the image of a gloved fist on the chest, brown sleeves and leggings. He raises a literal iron fist to the camera as he continues, But they were all wrong. Dead wrong. The earth will bow before my demands, and the iron hand will hold dominion over all. And the caption box says... Next issue, The Hand That Shook the World. And another caption reads... Next issue on sale, on or about July 18th. It's part two of the 1972 Justice League Justice Society stroke, I suppose, Seven Soldiers of Victory crossover. We have all assembled once again. Plenty of standing room. No one can sit down, but we're coping to bring you issue 101 of JLA, published on... The 18th of July, 1972, 11 days after Ringo Starr's 32nd birthday, for those of you who worry about such things. Peter's going to tell you about the cover. I certainly am. At the top, we have the Justice League of America shield. Partick Thistle colours. Partick Thistle colours, yes. That's the best way to describe it <laughs> for all of our American <laughs> listeners. Uh, yes, at the top left-hand side, we've got the DC logo, and on the top right-hand side, we've got the 20 cents stamp. There you go. Approved by the Comics Code Authority. Thank goodness for that. Down the left-hand side, we have some of the roll call for the Justice League of America, and that is Superman. Batman. Diana Prince, Wonder Woman. Hawkman. Metamorpho. And down the right-hand side, we have the roll call for some of the Justice Society of America, and that is Starman. Doctor Midnight. Golden Age Wonder Woman. Our Man. 
Sandman. Awesome. I have action figures of quite a few of these people. We're going to have some fun on the socials while the story's going out. Yes. Good show. But the main image on the cover, there is a giant iron hand in space, apparently, mm. and it is clutching at some of our heroes. Starman's caught between a couple of fingers. Dr. Midnight's hanging out the bottom of the clenched fist. If you pardon the expression. Yes. Batman is literally under the thumb, and Superman's trying to rescue him from that. Earth One Green Lantern's flying in. He's blasting it with his power ring. We have the Sandman climbing up. What he's going to do with his with his gun, I have no idea. He's either going to put the hand to sleep or transform <laughs> it into a block of cement with that new magic gun that oh, he's had could for be, a while. Could yeah. be. Uh, but in the background, we've got the Earth 2 Wonder Woman. She's just drifting away in space, as is Hawkman from Earth 1. Gasp. Have they been incapacitated? Let's read on and find out. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see exactly how Hawkman and Wonder Woman end up drifting through space in this episode. Yes, it's going to be very exciting. Mm. There is a scroll caption at the bottom that says, Can the greatest heroes of two Earths defeat the hand that shook the world? Gosh, well, the only way we'll find out is if we read the issue. Jumping straight in. I should say, listeners, if you're reading along, this has been reprinted in various Jaily Omnibus trade paperbacks and issue 11 of DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest. If you have one to hand, join in. An opening caption says, Continuing the mind-staggering anniversary adventure of the Justice League of America. And an opening splash image shows, similar to the cover actually, shows heroes trying to free the Earth from the grip of the giant pale green hand. We can see Green Lantern, we can see Johnny's Thunderbolt, we see Doctor Fate, we see Starman, Wonder Woman, Superman, all getting stuck in Hawkman too. Down the left side of the page... There's a caption that reads, From nowhere it came, this monstrous claw of nebula energy, this colossal fist holding the Earth in a grip of terror, defying the most powerful heroes of two worlds. Also in this main central image, the blonde-haired, blue, sparkle-eyed image of Oracle looms over the heroes fighting to rescue her from the the grip of the hand, and he booms. Harder, heroes, even harder, for time is running out. Unless you triumph soon, your world most surely is doomed. I can't wait for this this scene of all the heroes. The heroes who appear to have grown to a giant size, quite frankly. True, yes. Wrestling these fingers apart, prizing these fingers away from the earth. I can't wait for that moment. It's going to be Mm. exciting. The captioning continues on the right side of the page. Can even the combined might of the Justice League and Justice Society be enough to stop the the hand hand that shook the world? The rest of the captioning tells us this story was brought to us by Len Wein, writer, Dick Dillon and Joe Giella artists, Julius Schwartz, editor. And so, into the story properly. The first caption on page one reads, Time. The eternal enigma passes with depressing slowness in the secluded sanctuary of the Justice Society of America as a solitary figure sits and waits. We see Diana Prince, the former Wonder Woman of Earth-1, sat at a table looking up at a large clock on the wall. She says, Hours since they all vanished into the past, and not a word. I've chosen the hardest task for myself. Waiting. The waiting, of course, being the name of the best song on Tom Petty's Hard Promises album. A voice from off-camera says, An intruder in our secret headquarters. And in panel two... Diana turns to see three new arrivals. She exclaims, Who in... Oh, Green Lantern, Mr. Terrific. You startled me. And the figure in grey says, Introduce me, fellas. And Green Lantern says, Robin, meet Diana Prince, the Wonder Woman of Earth One. Your Green Lantern told me the loss of your superpowers, Diana. I'm sorry. 
So am I. But that doesn't explain what she's doing here. Our world's in mortal danger, and the entire JSA is gone. He's right, Diana. Where is everybody? That, friends, is a long story. Follow me and see for yourselves. Diana takes them to Dr. Fate's mystic crystal ball and shows the three newly arrived JSA members its image of that familiar monument. Diana says, This is the grave of the unknown soldier of victory, hidden deep in the Himalayas. Dr. Fate discovered it while seeking to overcome the hand that holds the earth. What does the grave signify? says Miss Terrific. That's what the others also wanted to know. And the next two panels have rippled borders to signify flashbacks, as we've become used to, as Diana narrates. And so Dr. Fate, Zatanna, and Johnny Thunder's mystic thunderbolt combined their powers to summon the cosmic seer Oracle. Oracle revealed the grave was a result of a tremendous battle that had occurred there years before. A battle between the titanic Nebula Man and the Seven Soldiers of Victory. And after we're shown these events, we cut back to GSEHQ, as Robin says, Who in blazes are the Seven Soldiers of Victory? I never heard of them. Green Lantern looks thoughtful and says, I'm older than you are, Robin, but I'll be darned if I can remember them either. And Mr. Trevick puts a hand to his head and concentrates and says, What's wrong with our memories? Absolutely nothing, replies Diana before continuing. Nobody on Earth remembers the Seven Soldiers, because a time warp created by the Nebula Man's destruction hurled them back through the ages. Green Arrow and Speedy, the Shining Knight, the Crimson Avenger, the Star-Spangled Kid and Stripesy, and the Vigilante no longer exist in your world. But only these seven know the way to destroy the Galactic Hand. And another rippled flashback panel shows Oracle sending the other heroes off on their mission as Diana watches. That's why Oracle sent the combined forces of the Justice League and Justice Society through time in search of them, leaving me behind to brief others, such as you. And the final panel of page three shows Green Lantern looking into Doctor Fate's crystal ball, which now shows the image of Earth in the hold of the giant hand. As Green Lantern says, Then the fate of the Earth rests in the hands of our colleagues, and there isn't a blasted thing we can do to help. Over the page, top of page four, a caption reads, Even as Green Lantern speaks, three of those daring defenders have been thrust back into the realm of reality. And we get logos for Superman, Sandman, and Metamorpho, the Element Man. This is the most random team. You know, I want an ongoing series with the three of these guys. You know, I mean, do you remember, you know, it's like the champions or some of the defenders lineups. It's just so yeah. random. It's glorious. Super buddies. Yeah. Anyway, three heroes flash into existence. Standing in a rocky outcrop overlooking some apparently old Chinese-looking buildings. A crescent moon hangs in the sky. Take a small drink. As Metamorpho says, Wow, Oracle sure has some delivery service. And off-panel, a voice says, Aye, praise Buddha. He sends warriors to defend us. Superman whirls and says, An old Chinese monk. Seems we've been expected. Tell me, Ancient One, why do you need warriors to protect you? And we see this elderly man, nice little chin beard and purple hooded robe, and he replies, Come, please, while this humble one explains as best he can. And he takes him inside one of the buildings where we see massive statues of a dragon and presumably Buddha, and these are being guarded by warriors with shields, spears, swords, etc. The monk says, Within these poor chambers rests the heritage of my people, all the beauty and heritage of our past, hidden away from the eyes of the invaders, until now. And Metamorpho says, I get it. They're after this museum of yours. Who are these invaders? The monk gestures out into the night and says, They are as many as the leaves of the forest. 
Once their leader was called Temujin, but now they call him the Universal Ruler, Genghis Khan. He continues into the first panel of page 5, saying, His legions are led by an armoured god and a winged horse. Nothing can stand against them. To which the Sandman says, Armoured man? Winged horse? Sounds like the Shining Knight. Superman scratches his head and says, It does seem impossible, yet I wonder. No need to wonder, Supes, when we can find out for certain. Nobody's going to notice a helium breeze drifting through their camp, so I can check out old Genghis' army. And at that, the Element Man transforms into a cloud and flies out the window. Awesome. Captured for panel three. Mere minutes later. That crescent moon is still lingering. Hangs in the background as we see the warrior king, Genghis Khan, striding along with one of his acolytes beside him. Genghis is saying, The armored one is still at my command, shaman. Your fiery gaze has seared him to the soul. You have served me well. Metamorpho resumes his human form in the background as the acolyte replies, I live for nothing else, great Khan. Genghis and his pal keep walking, as the Khan says, And that is as it should be. Come, we must prepare for tomorrow's onslaught. As they vanish into the distance, Metamorpho thinks to himself, Then I'd better snatch our knight errant out of here tonight. And by here, he means the tent that he's standing next to. At that, he transforms his arm into a blade and slices a hole in the side of the tent as he continues to think All it takes is a stainless steel sword to provide a quick entrance and In the final panel he steps through the gap he's created and sees the Shining Knight sat up in bed Sir Justin you don't know me but I'm a friend and I'm here to help you escape Justin starts to pull his sword saying What? Intruder Violet No one may disturb the chambers of my liege Khan and live to tell the tale First panel of page 6, as the knight lunges for Metamorpho with his sword, the element man makes another shift, changing to a yellow gas. Sounds! What foul wizardry is this? The creature doth evade my every thrust. Tis as as elusive as the wind. And Metamorpho says, Or fluorine gas, to be more precise, Prince Charming. And he thinks, Now, either I pull a quick fade, or I end up so much scrap metal. A slow dissolve. And so? Superman, Sandman, and the old monk stand and listen as a seated Metamorpho reports back. That's the setup, chums. Khan's witchman has hoodooed Sir Justin into playing figurehead for his army. And as long as the knight keeps slinging that sword of his, we can't get close enough to cure him. Superman gets a panel as he looks out into the night and says, In that case, Element Man, we'll let him come to us. Tomorrow morning, when the Mongols mount their attack, we'll be waiting. Another slow dissolve the caption for the final panel of page six. When the first fingers of dawn stab at the sky, three strangely garbed men wait alone to meet an awesome army. I'm definitely going to try and recreate this panel with action figures <laughs> once we finish recording. Superman, Sandman, the Metamorpho stand and watch the Khan's army approach, throwing out a massive cloud of dust behind them. Here they come, outnumbering us 5,000 to 1, says Superman. Metamorpho adds, You're doing wonders for my morale, Superman. This is positively the last time I let you volunteer me for anything. And in the first panel of page 7, Sandman replies, You volunteered yourself, Element Man, and with no regrets. How do we stand and fight, or the heritage of a people falls shattered in the dust? You might not have to fight at all, friends. I'll be right back, says Superman as he takes to the air. We can see in the background the army is getting closer, with Sir Justin and Wing Victory flying in air above them. Panel 2, the Shining Knight yells, Onward, my fellows, for your noble liege. 
victory shall be ours. I wouldn't bet on that, Sir Justin, says Superman off panel as he flies towards the knight, who then replies to him. So, mine enemies do send another strange creature to destroy me. Like the other, it shall go down in defeat. That remains to be seen, Sir Knight. Have at thee, says Superman, and then he thinks. If I can beat the Shining Knight, I might rout the Mongols as well. But as the two champions meet in combat... With a thwack, Sir Justin strikes Superman with a sword. Superman falls backwards, thinking, Ugh, no chance. Sir Justin's powers are magical in origin. He recovers and banks into the air in the next panel, flies off, continuing to think. Hate to use that old discretion line, but right now it seems the sensible thing to do. But Justin watches him go, and down the ground, Genghis also watches him go and yells to his army, Observe, my brethren. Thus will your winged god vanquish all who oppose us. Onward to victory. And instants later... At the top of page 8, Sandman and Metamorpho whirl as they see the Man of Steel flying towards them. Sandman says, Superman, what happened out there? No time to talk. You two hold off Khan and his crew for a while. I've got something important to attend to. Which Metamorpho says, Huh? You gotta be kidding. In panel 2, as the army approaches, Superman flies off again as Metamorpho transforms his lower quarters into a tank. Sandman jumps onto the back of him, saying, Your Superman takes a lot for granted, Metamorpho. Yeah, you know how it is with those establishment types. Still, if we're going to take on an army, I'd feel a lot better doing it as a cobalt tank. Come on, Sandman, climb aboard. Panel 3 reads with a caption, Like a great tide of savage humanity, the Mongol horde surges onward, drawing ever closer to the transformed Metamorpho and his cloaked passenger. But, surprisingly... On horseback, Genghis Khan cries, We drive our horses into the ground with running, and yet that accursed village remains ever beyond our grasp. By the gods, why? And in an inset panel, there's dialogue between Metamorpho and Sandman. Cannon shells are finished, Sandman. But if that sleep gas formula you gave me is incorrect... It's correct, Element Man. I guarantee it. Now adjust your cannon and get those spare atoms of yours working. Ready? Aim! Fire! And a series of massive explosions go off amongst the approaching hordes, dispensing large clouds of gas. Top of page 9, caption reads, And when the smoke of battle has cleared... Wesley and Rex stand amongst the sleeping army. Sandman says... This crowd will be out for hours. Looks like we saved that village. Saved what village, Sandman? Take a look and tell me how an entire hill vanishes. And off panel, Superman says, No big trick, Element Man. I moved it. He alights in panel two as Metamorpho scratches his head and says, Superman! So that's what was so important. Exactly. Rather than take the chance the Mongols might get past us, I moved the entire hillside to a place where they'll never find it. We see that Salman is tending to Sir Justin at this point. Superman goes on to say, I see you've got things well in hand here. In panel three, Salman has helped the Shining Knight to his feet, saying, As well as can be expected. The antidote I gave Sir Justin and his steed is taking effect. Soon he's back to normal. We'll leave here. Metamorpho looks aghast and asks, Yeah? How? In the next panel, Superman and Metamorpho take the Shining Knight's weight between them. Superman says in reply to Metamorpho, Now that our task is complete, I bet Oracle knows about it, and will be sending for us. To which the Sandman says, In that case, hold Sir Justin! There's something I want to do! And Sandman approaches the sleeping Genghis Khan. Interesting. Moments later... As the heroes in winged victory are being borne aloft into the void, Metamorpho says, 
You pegged it, Superman. Oracle's pickup service is as good as his delivery. Wonder what Sandman did to old Gingus. Something I haven't done in years. And believe me, it felt good. And we cut back to Genghis Khan, still out for the count in the land of Nod, and with a piece of paper pinned to his chest that reads, There is no land beyond the law where tyrants rule with unshakable power. It's but a dream from which the evil wake to face their fate, their terrifying hour. And it's signed, The Sandman. Meanwhile, through the centuries, in Justice Society headquarters... We see Diana Prince, the former Wonder Woman of Earth One, Mr Terrific and Robin watch a frustrated Green Lantern Alan Scott punch the wall, saying... Enough! This sitting on my hands is driving me crazy. There must be some action to take, and I've figured out what it is. Robin asks him... How about letting us in on the secret, GL? Green Lantern makes for the door, saying... The grave of the unknown soldier. Somebody must have put it there. And I'm heading for the Himalayas to find out who. Robin gets to his feet and says, Not without us, you ain't, GL. And Mr. Terrific looks back at the former Wonder Woman, saying, Hate to leave you in the lurch again, Diana. Keep minding the store. And within minutes... Green Lantern has very kindly conjured a nice comfortable-looking couch for Robin and Mr. Terrific to sit on as he flies through the sky. Mr. Terrific is saying, How dark the sky is almost as if it resents that ghastly hand intruding into its space. To which GL says, I sense more than phantom fingers in the air, Mr. Terrific. More like an... But Robin interrupts. Earthquake! You never told me you were psychic, GL. Far from it, Robin. I just... Great Scott! Those kids! And we see a boy and a girl in danger. They're on the ground as the earth splits open in front of them. Lightning reflexes snap into action, and... Green Lantern creates a new structure allowing Robin and Mr. Terrific to swing on their own individual trapeze and catch the kids before they fall into the chasm. Robin says, Got him, with nothing to spare. Jail's power ring saves the day again. The day's not over yet, Robin. Tiny Caption says that we are continued on the second page following. Pass full-page advertisement for patches and stuff. Oh, gosh. Flash Gordon, one I hadn't noticed there before. Popeye, Felix the Cat. Caution Budweiser-powered. Help, I need loving. Don't we all? (laughs) <laughs> nice gas mask one there, given that we've just had the Sandman. That's pretty cool. Woodstock. Fantastic, yep. yes. And there's an ank. Where? Oh, so there is. Yes. Ooh. Which, funnily enough, we haven't seen Dr. Fate use no. yet. No. That, that can't be far mm. off now at this point. Maybe Dr. Fate saw this this advert and was inspired to That's start possible. using anks in his imagery. That is possible. Who knows? Interesting. Let's know. What do you think? Right in let us know. Yeah. Hmm. We arrive at the top of page 11 now. A tiny caption says... The crisp morning air crackles furiously as three lithe figures materialize in the heart of a fertile forest. Pink burst of energy in the sky, and the Hawkman of Earth-1 and Earth-2's Wonder Woman and Dr. Midnight land on the grassy ground. Dr. Midnight says, Astounding! One moment we're nowhere, and the next moment we're here. Question is, where is here? And Wonder Woman replies, From our surroundings, Doctor, I'd say it's the English countryside. A wide-eyed and smiling Hawkman says in panel two, Hey, people, take a deep breath. The air is so fresh, so clean. I haven't tasted anything like it since I left my native planet Thanagar. To which Doctor Midnight says, Apparently, Hawkman, pollution hasn't been invented yet. The atmosphere is so pure, it's making me light-headed. Suddenly, the evergreen calm is shattered by the shrill cry of countless goose-fletched shafts as they whistle from the underbrush, heralding death 
for the three courageous crusaders who have come to this strange place. And we get logos for Hawkman, Wonder Woman and Doctor Midnight, who are suddenly being barraged by arrows. So the heroes try to avoid this. One of Hawkman's wings is pierced and he says, Hunt cover, Midnight, or you're liable to end up beheaded. Wonder Woman cries, Shades of Pluto, someone is using us for targets. It appears we found our man. Maybe not, Princess. I can see several men out there, and they look like they're out for blood. There's been a shift in point of view at this panel, showing the men in green who are firing on our heroes. Wonder Woman says, Well, they won't get any of mine if I can help it, and I can help it. Instantly, the agile Wonder Woman, beautiful as Aphrodite, wise as Athena, swifter than Mercury, and stronger than Hercules, leaps from concealment. And... Bracelets raised. Wonder Woman starts deflecting the arrows, saying... Gentlemen, if you'll follow me, it's time we brought the battle to the enemy. Hawkman takes to the air behind as Dr. Midnight rushes along and Hawkman says, Right behind you, princess. In panel three, Hawkman is furiously beating his wings at the bowman, saying, If this doesn't flush out, those bloodthirsty bowmen, nothing will. I'm beating my wings hard enough to start a small hurricane. To which Dr. Midnight says, That's it, Hawkman. Keep him flying. Yes, we see the bowman cowering in terror. Dr. Midnight gets properly stuck in the next panel, flipping one man over his shoulder as he says, Just as I thought. These minor league archers don't know the first thing about jiu-jitsu. Without those longbows, there's so much dead wood. Within moments, as abruptly as it had begun, the conflict is over. One of the men in green, we get a good look at him here with his feathered cap and quiver on his back and his nice neat beard and stuff. He speaks, saying, Hold, strange ones. We surrender. For now... You can tell the Sheriff of Nottingham he's won the battle, but he's yet to win the war. Wonder Woman whirls to look at him, saying, Suffering Sappho, I think we've made a mistake. Good Bowman, we are not agents of your Sheriff. Our mission here is a peaceful one. We fought only because we were attacked, she says as she walks towards him. She's taking her lasso away from the the Bowman as she does so. Tall Man in Green replies, You're releasing us? Then what you say is truth. Tell me, how can the Merry Men serve? And after Hawkman has described the one they seek... Little John, for it is he, Little John of Robin Hood's Merry Men, because this is who Tall Chap is, and it's a long time before he actually tells this, but you know, <laughs> so that you're on, on board, listeners, that's who it is. Little John replies, I am sorry we cannot help you, strange ones, but we know not any green arrow. Perhaps Robin Hood could help you were he here. For he knows all who bend their bows in Nottinghamshire. But the sheriff is hanging brave Robin on the morrow. Dr Midnight steps forward, puts a hand on Little John's shoulder and really get a good sense here of how tall Little John actually is. Dr Midnight looks up at him and says, Hanging Robin Hood? Isn't there anything you can do to stop it? And John looks sad as he replies, Would there were. The merry men and I shall lay siege to Nottingham Castle ere the dawn. But tis only a futile gesture. Good Robin shall sway in the breeze ere we can breach those walls. Perhaps that was true before, Little John, but not any more. We're going to help you storm that castle, and there isn't a barricade standing that can stop us. And for emphasis, he punches his fist. Fantastic. We pass the two-page advert, 14 LPs for $2.86. Yes. And we arrive at the top of page 14, where a caption reads... Dark it stands and stony-eyed, this angry edifice that juts from the jade-shadowed forest like an accusing finger, this unfeeling fortress that is Nottingham Castle. 
We can see sentries patrolling the battlements. The drawbridge is raised. Dr Midnight, Hawkman, Wonder Woman and the Merry Men hide in the shadows under the trees. Dr Midnight says, They're not going to make this easy for us, are they? How do we get across that moat with the drawbridge up? It seems moat fording is my department, gentlemen. Wait here till I'm done, and then come running. She's roped the drawbridge and she thinks, Snag the bridge on the first toss. My magic lasso never misses. Now, I pray to Athena that my muscles are equal of my task. She pulls on a lasso and continues to think, After all, if you can't go to the drawbridge, your only recourse is to bring the drawbridge to you. The drawbridge slams down. Dr Midnight and the others have moved forward with Hawkman saying, Fantastic! She did it! Come on, we can't let our efforts go to waste. But as the brave band moves across the fallen walkway... Soldiers run out from the castle. Dr Midnight notes, Uh-oh, we have company, and I don't think they want trespassers. And Hawkman says to one of the merry men, Lend me your staff, friend. I'd better teach the local welcome wagon a lesson in hospitality. Pinions pounding, the feathered fury hurtles into the midst of the angry throng with devastating results. Yeah, Hawkman rams the soldiers with the staff, knocking them all flying. He yells, Midnight, Wonder Woman, the rest of you, get into that castle and scatter. If we don't find Robin Hood quickly, we're liable to swing right alongside them in the morning. And minutes later, in one of the castle's deepest corridors... Dr Midnight has found a cell being guarded by two soldiers. He thinks to himself, Jackpot! Unless those guards are standing there for decoration, I've located my man. Once my handy blackout bomb throws a little dark on the subject, I'll see what I can do to spring him. A faint hiss as the blackout bomb hits, and the corridor is filled with clouds of billowing black. An excellent panel of a shrouded Dr Midnight knocking out the guards as he thinks. My blind eyes can see as perfectly in the darkness as my infrared lenses help me to do in the light. But my two playmates aren't quite as lucky. Within moments, the cell door squeals open to reveal... A familiar figure in a green outfit with a feather in his cap. Dr Midnight exclaims, Green Arrow? What are you doing here in Robin Hood's place? Dr Midnight, am I glad to see you? I'll explain everything as soon as we can get away from this rat hole. Dr Midnight and Green Arrow emerge from the cell to find soldiers coming towards them. Oops, looks like reinforcements have arrived. I'd better grab another blackout bomb. Green Arrow grabs his bow and quiver and says, Save it, Doc. This one's on me. Those crumbs shouldn't have left my gear where I can get my hands on them. In one blurring motion, the ace archer pulls a shaft from his quiver, notches it, and lets it fly. The old net arrow hasn't failed me yet. The guards won't unravel themselves for days. Indeed, the net is cast over the soldiers, trapping them. They move off in the next panel, leaving the soldiers to try and free themselves. As Dr Midnight says, If that arrow ever does fail you, GA, you won't be alive to know it. Come on, let's collect the others and get out of here. The others? Lead on, Doc. Now you've got me interested. And after the valiant group has battled its way out of the castle... Rather alarmingly, we see the castle on fire in the background. Yes. There is still a castle in Nottingham. I did check that. Hmm. Anyway, little John addresses the four heroes, saying, It seems we risked our lives to save the wrong man. Tell us, knave, what knowest thou of Robin Hood? Green Arrow gets a nice close-up as he replies, Your leader is safe, little John, recovering from wounds in the lodgings of a friendly friar. I drove off his attackers and Robin asked me to take his place. I was coming to inform you men when the sheriff captured me. 
Then our gratitude is yours, Green Arrow. We... What sorcery is this? You fade away before our very eyes. And sure enough, the heroes are suddenly engulfed in a cloud of smoke as Green Arrow says, You're not the only one wondering, little John. What is happening? To which Wonder Woman says, Our mission here is accomplished. Oracle is bringing us home. And Green Arrow waves goodbye to his fellow emerald-clad warrior. How long do you think Green Arrow was in Nottingham? Because he certainly picked up the accent. He did. Maybe he quite liked it. We will talk about this further when we do a, a recap discussion <laughs> episode, but he must have been here for ages to start to sound so native. Mm. Anyway, we now arrive at the top of page 17. A nice caption box with a drawing of some calendar pages reads, And once more, centuries ahead. And we see the Iron Hand, we've not seen since the end of the last issue, watching Green Lantern, Mrs. Terrific and Robin rescue the children in the Himalayas on a large video screen. Green Lantern can be heard. And the great nebula-like hand is responsible for this. It started to close. And watching this, the hand says, Indeed it has, Green Lantern. The image on the screen changes to show that of Earth in the grip of the scary cosmic hand. And it shall continue to close, crushing this planet into so much cosmic dust, unless total world domination is given me within the next 36 hours. I almost wish the seven soldiers were still alive to witness this day, the day of my ultimate triumph. They thought me dead, destroyed by the same device I had tried to use on them. But they were wrong. And he says this last speech in front of an enormous replica newspaper front page with the headline, Seven Soldiers of Victory Defeat the Criminal Hand. The Iron Hand resumes speaking, saying, I survived. Rather, most of me survived. Ironically, my own hand was hopelessly mangled, forcing me to replace it with this, the mechanical Iron Hand from which I take my new name. And with his new hand, he blasts and destroys the replica newspaper. But no! The Law's Legionnaires are gone and the Justice Society of America stands in their place to thwart me. But I will not be conquered again, like the seven soldiers of victory before them. The Justice Society must die. We arrive at the top of page 18. An establishing panel of a pyramid and another under construction is captioned. Night does not come easily to the blistering desert, and those who toil endlessly beneath the omnipotent sun know this fact well. Long have they laboured to complete the towering structure that rises from the shifting sands before them. We see a slave being whipped in the background of those toiling to move an enormous stone brick. And many have been the number to perish in the trying, but still they struggle on, the sting of the whip urging them on if ever they falter. Each man produces a full day's work, but there is one who alone does the work of many. And we see Stripesy, our old pal with the amazing hair, the sidekick of the Star Spangle Kid, moving an enormous stone block on his own. And there are three others who have travelled to this antique land in search of that solitary one. The shadows of Khufu's tomb cloak the movements of... And we get logos for Batman, Starman and Our Man. Yes, the lads are in town. And we see Bruce, Rex and Ted watching Pat at work. Our man speaks first. Looks like we've located our particular soldier. Let's get him the heck out of here. Which Batman says. Not quite yet, our man. It would be better to wait for darkness to fall. And when evening falls... A chain stripesy is talking to his slave master. I keep telling you, fatso. There is no magical secret to my strength. Slave master replies. Dying wizard, my patience is at an end. 
My lash will rip the truth from you. As he raises his whip, it's suddenly grabbed by a hand made out of energy, and a voice says, That's a no-no, Fatso. You're liable to bruise the merchandise. Huh? Great Ra! More wizards, they... The slave master says before Starman knocks him out with the handle of his own whip. Ooh! Starman manipulates with his cosmic rod. Starman says, Next time pick on someone who doesn't have his hands tied. Batman and Our Man get stuck into the other slave drivers. A strikes he yells, Starman! Batman! Our Man! How did you ever find me here? Which Our Man replies, We'll explain after we escape, Stripesy. Let's get moving. But before the weakened Stripesy can burst his bonds... One of the slave drivers produces a blade, which he holds to Stripesy's throat. He says, Hold, magicians. One more move and your companion dies. Starman gestures and says, Not if my cosmic rod can help it. But another voice says, Then, wizards, you shall have your magic wand no more. What? And Ourman helpfully points out, Starman, your cosmic rod... Snared by a whip. Yes, and that's indeed what we see happening. How nice of everyone involved to do that for us. A defeated Starman says, Sorry, Stripesy. Guess turnabout is fair play. No hard feelings, fellas. You did your best, replies Stripesy. And the slave master with the sword says, Enough chatter, wizards. Do you surrender? Or does my blade test his flesh? Which our man says, What choice do we have? You win. One of the slave drivers says, Those who serve the son of the sun always win. The three newly arrived heroes are struck by the Egyptians and all knocked unconscious. The heroes go down with oomph! A slow dissolve. And when the three heroes crawl out of the darkness at last... Our man, Starman and Batman tied up with ropes in a small room lit by a flaming torch in the wall. Our man speaks first. My aching head. Where did those dudes drop us anyhow? Unless I miss my guess, we're smack in the centre of the pyramid, our man. In the Pharaoh's burial chamber. Starman looks exasperated in panel four as he says, I've been trying to bring my cosmic rod to me by mental concentration, but it's too far for me. And our man looks down at the hourglass around his neck, which seems to flash and flare as he says, and My superpowered hour is up. How are we going to get out of this? And Batman growls, Give me a minute to think. For a time, the Batman is silent. When suddenly... Batman uses his feet to snatch the hourglass from around our man's neck. Rex cries, What the heck are you doing? I've had that hourglass for years. Better a new timepiece and a new lease in life, our man. Just hang on a second. There. Grab yourself a piece of the broken hourglass and start cutting through your ropes. Right on, Batman, says our man. I'll send you a bill for my egg timer. Moments later... The heroes are all standing... Freed from their bonds, Starman says, Done. Now our problem is finding a way out of this joint. As I remember, these tombs were usually built with maze-like passageways to confuse potential looters. And then Ourman says, And does, Starman. I'll take a miracle pill and punches out an exit. Hold it, Ourman. This place will be an historic treasure someday. No, there has to be a better way. He turns to Ted, saying, Starman, maybe you can't bring your cosmic rod here, but... You still control its atoms. You've got to concentrate. Let the cosmic rod show us the way out. I've never attempted it before, but, well, it's worth a try, says Starman. And it's not, I like the detail of Iron Man's face being completely shrouded. Yes, just the hoods. Yeah, I mm. bet he's raging still about his hourglass being broken. <laughs> Fantastic. 
Above a small drawing of the pyramid exterior, the caption for panel 5 reads, And try the Astral Avenger does. His face contorts into a mask of raw courage and grim determination. Until... Panel 6, we see the sweat on Starman's brow as he concentrates hard. We see a tendril of golden energy creeping into the room. Our man spots it. Look, the fickle finger of fate beckoning us. Starman did it! Let's get going, says Batman. Cautiously, three strangely garbed crusaders follow the fleeting energy trail along the twisting passageways, and soon... Yep, as the lads creep towards the entrance to the corridor they're in, Batman says... Easy, team. Looks like we've reached the end of the trail. Starman says... And that much closer to my cosmic rod. Take a drink. A full moon looms in the background of panel two as we see the slave masters having a chat and a bit of a carry-on. Our hero's silhouettes can be seen at the opening of the passageway. Our man says, We've got interference out there. And Starman says, Not for long. I'll show you a little trick. Some mental manipulation of the cosmic rod and presto. And the cosmic rod, which is lying beside the slave masters, starts to glow. Three fists of energy burst from the rod and knock out the slave drivers. Saves a lot of wear and tear on the uniform. Ted reclaims the rod, saying, Let that be a lesson to you, boys. You shouldn't take something that doesn't belong to you. And Batman says, we better find Stripesy before his captors do something he'll regret. A slow dissolve. Shortly, the heroes have found Stripesy. And Starman says, Great galaxies, Stripesy. They've hung him out to dry like an animal hide. And we see Pat has been tied by the wrists and ankles to a wooden structure, and he's being harangued by some of the Egyptians. Our man says, Then let's hit those guards and skin them. They get stuck into the slave drivers as a delighted Stripesy cries, Batman, Starman, Our Man, you escaped. Naturally, we're the good guys, says Our Man. Keep cool, Stripesy, we'll set you free in a second, says Batman. And Pat gets an inset panel where he says, Not this time, pals. This time, I free myself. And he flexes and snaps his bonds, bringing down the wooden structure at the same time. In panel three, he says, Now, as I recollect... I owe you bums some bruises. And he proceeds to batter <laughs> the remaining Egyptians with a large piece of the wooden structure that he was tied to. And a battle royale later. The heroes are running off, leaving the Egyptians in a pile on the ground. Stripes, he says. Those lugs were real quitters. Wouldn't get up again after the fourth time I slugged them? <laughs> my, my. I wonder why, says our man. And Starman says. And I wonder how we're getting back to our own time. Now that our job here is done... A pink glow starts to surround the heroes, and Batman says... That answers your question, Starman. Oracle has sent for us again. We're going home to 1972. While in that year of 1972... Diana Prince is again watching the clock on the wall as she says... Can't blame Green Lantern, Robin and Mr. Terrific for taking off again. This waiting is enough to drive you out of your skull. It wouldn't be so bad if I had some company, someone to talk to. But this waiting alone is liable to kill me. And, lurking behind her, unseen by Diana, is a shadowy figure with a glinting iron hand. The concluding caption of JLA 101 says, Next issue, and one of us must die. And another recaption says, Next issue on sale on or about August 17th. And that's it, listeners. That's the end of part two. We've made it. Issue 102 of Justice League of America, the conclusion to the 1972 Justice League Justice Society Seven Soldiers of Victory crossover. 
We are here. It was published on the 17th of August, 1972. That's barely a month before the, the birth of Matt Everett from menswear. Mm. Peter's going to tell you about the cover. Yes, we have the Justice League of America shield at the top. Top left corner, the DC logo. Top right corner, 20 cents button. There we are. Down the left-hand column is a sample of some of the roll call for this issue, just some Justice Leaguers. It's nowhere near the number of heroes that are actually in this, but we have the headshots of Superman, Batman, Flash, Green Lantern, Black Canary, and Green Arrow, all from Earth 1. Now, the main image on the cover is Superman standing atop a rock. There's a crackle of lightning behind him. Very dramatic. Mm. And surrounding this rock are the assembled heroes. We have... Earth-1 Flash, Doctor Fate, Earth-1 Hawkman, Earth-2 Sandman, Black Canary, Earth-1 Green Arrow, Red Tornado, Earth-1 Green Lantern, and we also have Earth-1 Batman, Earth-2 Wonder Woman, and Aquaman of Earth-1. And Superman is dramatically pointing and saying, For the Earth to live, one of us must die. Gosh. Could the stakes be any higher? Possibly. Probably not. (laughs) Without any further ado, because a few people here have to be sure of getting their last train home. And some have come from very far away. Indeed. It's a truly international cast this week, listeners. Our opening splash panel is an image of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Crimson Avenger, Stripesy, Vigilante, the Star Spangled Kid, the Shining Knight, Speedy and Green Arrow, looking down at the Earth, held in the grip of the enormous, scary, taloned Green Hand. The captioning all reads... Concluding the monumental 100th anniversary adventure of the Justice League of America. It was going to be a party at first, but the interdimensional summons of Dr. Fate had changed that. Now it was a manhunt, a desperate quest that has led the members of the Justice League and Justice Society down the infinite corridors of time. The object of their search, the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Long-lost champions who alone can save their planet from the awesome nebulous hand that holds the Earth. But the price of such success may prove most terrible indeed. And the title of this epic conclusion, And And One one of of Us Must Die. And the creator scroll list tells us this adventure is by Len Wien writer, Dick Dylan penciler, Joe Giella and Dick Giordano inkers. Gosh, was the deadline... Looming. Must have been. Mm. The caption for the first panel properly on page two reads, In a place beyond places he sits, this all-knowing entity named Oracle. He sits and he ponders and weighs the fate of a world. And we see Oracle looking like an albino Alan Moore, Mm. sitting on an ornately sculpted throne. Like the body of this chair is sort of made up of sculpted human figures. It's really quite... Disturbing. Yeah, that's the word. It's a very scary, creepy mystery title, host. Anyway, Oracle begins to speak. A strange feeling, this. For it has been long since Oracle last cared about the survival of a mere planet. But care I do, and I find the sensation pleasant, perhaps with good reason. For was it not I who sent Earth's boldest heroes on their journey through time and space? Indeed it was. But now I would know more of those who stayed behind. How, for instance, fares Diana Prince, she who was once called Wonder Woman. And we see Diana as we left her last issue. Not well, it seems, for she is beset by the Iron Hand, whose nebuloid namesake is the cause of the great quest 
and she knows not her danger. And the next panel, we see Robin and Mr. Terrific still swinging in Green Lantern's trapeze, still rescuing the children from the earthquake, as Oracle observes, Nor would the other heroes who strive to protect their world. Green Lantern, Robin, Mr. Terrific. I could end their problems in an instant, but I am bound not to interfere. And in the final panel of page two, Oracle raises a fist at the reader and declares, It is decided man must make his own destiny. But if on this bleak day he falls in final defeat, a small part of Oracle shall die as well. And the caption at the top of page three says, And even as Oracle speaks, three of those destiny makers suddenly find themselves upon the side of a wooded hill. And we get logos for Green Arrow, Black Canary, and the incomparable Johnny Thunder. The heroes are stood under a tree in a wooded area. Green Arrow speaks first. I don't know where Oracle dumped us, but the man has taste. So I notice, but we'd better start hunting for her. Hey! Canary breaks off because Johnny Thunder has taken her arm. He says, Great idea, Canary. You and me will go this way and meet up with Green Arrow later on. Green Arrow grabs Canary's other arm, saying, Hang on, Thunder. That's my lady you're bending. Your lady? I knew Black Canary for more years and you've got arrows. And a very perturbed Canary cries, What? And she pulls free of both men, saying, I've got news for you, chauvinists. I happen to be my own lady and I intend to see it stays that way. Green Arrow says, Huh? Johnny exclaims, Ugh. And Canary finishes by saying, If you all want to go hero hunting, fine. But if you want to play tug-of-war... Find yourselves a new rope. Green Arrow has a very serious face at that. But Johnny has noticed something in the distance. He says, Hey, maybe we don't have to hunt. Look over there. Smoke! Cautiously, the time-tossed trio follows the curling column of smoke until at last they come upon... Well, very helpfully, Johnny says, An Indian village! And we see a group of what we unenlightened children of the 70s would call teepees, tents and stuff. Black Canary says, Well, at least we know where we are now. Somewhere on the North American plains. Only question left is, who are we searching for? Offhand, Green Arrow, I would say it was him. And as the heroes move towards the village, we see a familiar figure in blue denim with a white hat and a red face mask, tied up and being led at spear point towards a pillar in the ground that's been, uh uh-oh, surrounded by what looks like firewood to me. Green Arrow observes and says, The vigilante a prisoner. They're going to burn him at the stake. Johnny Thunder cries, Too bad this ain't the movies, or the cavalry would be coming to the rescue by now. Green Arrow brings his bow forward, saying, Cavalry hasn't been invited yet, Bright Eyes, so I'm afraid our lonesome cowboy will just have to settle for us. Maybe not, G.A. I'll call my magic thunderbolt, and he can conjure up a cavalry for us. Say you! And a footnote reminds us, See you, the Badnesian hex that gives Johnny control of the genie-like thunderbolts. The mystic words spoken, Johnny Thunder awaits the almost instantaneous appearance of his supernatural servant. But after several long minutes... Johnny rubs the top of his head, saying, The thunderbolt didn't show. That's never happened before. There's a first time for everything, pal. He probably got as tired of you as I have. Now come on, we got us a cowboy to rescue. There is a faint rustle of the tree branches as the daring trio moves forward. And suddenly... Several Native Americans drop from the trees. We've been discovered. Really? I never would have guessed. The battle is short and not very sweet at all. 
and we see the heroes unconscious on the ground. They're now captors standing over them. A slow dissolve. And when Green Arrow, Black Canary and Johnny Thunder finally regain consciousness... We're inside a tent. The heroes are sat with their arms tied behind their backs. I suppose you'd probably call him the tribe's medicine man standing before them. He says... So, Whiteskins, you awaken at last. You are weak enemies indeed. Green Arrow says... Hate to disappoint you, Doc, but we came here in peace. Well, that's right. We have no wish to harm y'all. You lie. I have spoken to the buffalo spirit, and he has told me you must die, or other Whiteskins will one day come to kill the buffalo and steal away our land. Cracking shot of this chap here, we can see his headdress with a, you know, with a dead buffalo and his pigtails and stuff. Very, very effective and probably incredibly racist and incredibly dated by the time we read it now 50-odd years later. Yeah. He seems to conjure a cloud of smoke which falls towards our heroes. Gotta admit, You've got a powerful argument, friend, but I still wish you'd reconsider. No, the spirits have spoken. When next the moon is full, you will die, as will die the other white-skinned one, tonight. And moments later... I see that Vigilante is now tied to the stake. Good grief, he says. Still time to change your mind, hombre. I'm telling you, you got the wrong man. And the tribe medicine man, holding a flaming torch, replies... Silence, Whiteskin. We kill you only in our own defence. A voice says off camera. In that case, you won't mind if we happen to defend ourselves? And an arrow flies in, locking the torch from the medicine man's hand and slicing the rope that's holding Vigilante to the stake. Astonishing. The medicine man screams, Hi! And Vigilante says, Well, I'll be swaggered. I don't know who all you rannies are, but I ain't never been happier to see anybody. And we see that Canary and the others are free, somehow, and start to fight. Green Arrow says, Time for introductions later, Vig. After we get you out of here. Well then, why don't I lend you a hand? These Jaspers are so primitive, they didn't even bother to take my irons. And with some blam-blams, Greg starts firing indiscriminately into the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) For several moments, the Vigilante's man-made thunder splits the air. Until the sound is drowned out by a greater thunder still. And indeed, a huge rumble sound effect drifts through the panel, as Johnny says. Hey, sounds like like it's gonna rain. I only wish it were, Johnny. Take a look over there. Buffalo, heading this, this way. What are we gonna do, do, do now? And suddenly, there's a pink flash of light in the sky, from which a voice emerges. Funny you should ask that! And Johnny yells in the next panel, Thunderbolt? Where in blazes have you you been? I called you hours ago. Sorry, pal, but it took me a thousand years to find you. You are off the beaten path, you know. So tell me, what can I undo for you? Those buffalo... You've got... Gotta... Stop him. Your wish is my command. As soon as you say those two little magic words... But I can't... Can't talk! That witch man's magic... Magic dust has given... Given me... Hiccups! Sorry, old ruler of the ridiculous. No passwords. No magic. Say, you idiot! Do you... Want those monsters to... Trample us into corn mash? Do something! 
Them was the words, Chief. The bemused Thunderbolt studies the onrushing herd. Then, with a casual wave of his hand, he turns them into... Butterflies? You gotta be kidding! And as he gestures and causes this havoc, the Thunderbolt says... Look, I don't tell you how to run your business, do I? Besides, those bison will change back to normal when they've calmed down. Vigilante puts his hand on the Thunderbolt's shoulder and indicates the approaching tribesmen. Maybe so, but what are we going to do about them? Ah, uh, that crew? I'll just... But suddenly, all five are caught up in a billowing cloud. Johnny says, Smoke, we're fading away. Thunderbolt, is this your doing? Sorry, pretty lady, but I can't take credit for this one. Then it must be Oracle. Our mission here is finished, and he's bringing us home. Meanwhile, centuries away, three more strangely garbed men hurtle through the misty sky, their eyes carefully scanning the prehistoric terrain below. And we get the logos for Aquaman, Wildcat, and Green Lantern. Green Lantern is flying through a conspicuously pink sky, bearing Aquaman and Wildcat on a power ring created couch. Aquaman says, Still no sign of where we've ended up, Wildcat. And Wildcat looking down at the very craggy and rough and deserty, boulder filled <laughs> landscape below them replies, Afraid not, Aquaman. You can't tell one rock from another down there. Green Lantern creates a pointing hand with his ring, saying, Hey, Looks like there's more than a rambling rock garden below us. And a pale yellow cloud can be seen in the background of the next panel, as Aquaman says, Cavemen, crow magnon from the looks of them. Wildcat says, Well, at least we know when we are, 50,000 years in the past. And we see down on the ground a group of spear-carrying cavemen, as if they were straight out of 1 million years BC. Green Lantern observes, Appears they've cornered some wild animal in that cave. Suddenly, a massive, distorted, blue and red figure emerges from the cave, and Wildcat cries, That's no wild animal, Lantern. It's the Star Spangled Kid. But as the dauntless trio swoops groundward to investigate... They all suddenly crash the ground, Green Lantern saying, Brace yourselves! We're gonna splatter! And there's an oomph from Wildcat. When the hapless heroes regain their feet... What the heck happened to your power ring, Lantern? You forgot to recharge it? No, it's this blasted yellow fog. The area is thick with it, and my ring is powerless against that particular color. You can see the yellow fog drifting through these panels. Aquaman points behind them and says, Fellas, take a peek over there. We look over the hero's shoulders in panel three and see the speedy cavemen are approaching them. Green Lantern says, uh-oh, without my ring to back us up, we're going to have to fight our way into that cave. Fight? That's my speciality. Get ready to follow my lead. And in panel four, the cat punched out two cavemen at once, saying, If we can't go past these guys, we're going to go through them. One caveman falls back with an... Ooh! A sudden motion from the shadows, and... With a roar, massive roar, an absolute giant of a caveman looms into view through the yellow mist. Green Lantern points and says, Here comes somebody who wants to argue the point, Wildcat. And Aquaman says, And it'll be rough than anyone who disagrees with him. Well, I disagree with him, says Wildcat, and I want to know how his argument stands up against cold hard facts. Basically, Wildcat confronts the giant, ducking, weaving, and punching, saying, Fact one, this prehistoric Goliath 
Moves like a weak supply of exhausted molasses. Crunch! Into the face of the giant caveman. And the caveman's enormous. Make sure you check out the foreign reprint covers I post for, for this story, listeners, for a slightly ultimate take on what's going on in this sequence. Panel 3. Fact 2. She's arguing with the Hex heavyweight champion of the whole wide world. And I don't like to lose an argument. With that seems to be enough. The giant caveman goes flying backwards. The sky is darkening in panel four. With the giant flattened back, all the other cavemen are running off. To which Wildcat says, Hey, where's everybody going? I thought they wanted to fight. See that rain is starting to fall as Green Lantern says, Okay, Wildcat, you made your point. As Aquaman moves into the cave, he says, Now suppose we start searching for the star-spangled kid. Wildcat holds up a hand as he notices the change in the weather. He moves forward saying, Why not? It's beginning to rain out here anyway. Moments later, within the great stone chamber... Inside the cave, three heroes have spotted some large chunks of crystal. Green Lantern says... So that's how the kid managed that illusion. A primitive projector made of quartz and scrap metal. Ingenious, but where is the kid himself? And Wildcat points and says... Hiding in one of those side tunnels, I bet. You're probably right. The question is, why? We find the answer to that when we find the star-spangled kid. And with that, the heroes all start moving off down their own little passageways. And Wildcat says, Checking this maze out could take forever. Let's each take a different tunnel. And meet back here when we've made the rounds. Long minutes pass as the three adventurers scour the cavern's countless corridors. Until at last, the Sea King spies... Ackerman thinks to himself, Something in the shadows up ahead. The star-spangled kid. And we see the star-spangled kid hunched up in a smaller cave. As Aquaman approaches him, Star-Spangled Kid looks up and says, Who? I like the star's fellow human being. But how... how'd you find me here? I'll explain that later. What I want to know now is, why have you been hiding in this cave? To protect the future of the human race. I've got a terrible case of the flu. If even one of those primitive ancestors of ours were to catch the disease for me and die, it could alter the course of history. Aquaman puts a finger to his lips in the final panel of page 11, saying, Shh! That's rumbling noise. Sounds like a flood. The caves are suddenly filled with rushing, surging, pounding water. Aquaman continues... When it rains in this prehistoric world, it pours. The force of the water sends the star-spangled kid falling backwards. Within instance, the raging torrent fills the rough-hewn chamber. Aquaman swims over to Sylvester, thinking... The water's impact has knocked the kid colder than a penguin's nose. Better get him out of here before he drowns. Then come back for GL and Wildcat. Like a salmon returning to the spawning ground, the underwater wonder pits his mighty sinews against the surging flood tide. And... Aquaman again thinks, Difficult to make any headway against this current. For anyone else it would be impossible. Hope my partners in peril can hold out till I can get them. When suddenly... What? A great green goldfish bowl, enclosing us in a bubble of air. Seems I underestimated my colleagues. Aquaman and the Sasspangle Kid are being borne out of the water. Swiftly, the glowing globe manoeuvres its way through the floodwaters, bringing Aquaman and the Sasspangle Kid into the company of... Green Lantern, but you said the yellow fog disrupted your power ring. Green Lantern and Wildcat are perched on a rock in the rain under the cover of a huge power ring generated umbrella. Green Lantern replies to Aquaman. It did, but the driving rain washed the fog away. Hey, I see you found our pint-sized prize package. 
and Green Lantern bears Aquaman and Sylvester up so that they are standing on the rock beside them. Green Lantern says, Then we've done all we set out to do here. All that remains now is for Oracle to bring us back again. Instantly, a great cloud of smoke swirls around the four strange figures, and they are gone. Let us adjust the curtain of time and space to focus on three more of our century-spanning searchers as they step back onto the plane of reality. Yes, we get logos for The Flash, Zatanna the Magician, and a nice twisty one for The Red Tornado. A burst of light and smoke... Now three heroes have appeared by the sea. Zatanna says, Wow, that was quite a ride. Where did the Oracle deposit us? My relativity sensors indicate we've landed on a small Mediterranean island, Zatanna. In that case, it shouldn't take me more than a few seconds to check the island for our missing soldier, says the Flash, before rushing off, continuing, Wait here, I'll be right back. But Zatanna says, What, then miss all the fun? Hang on, Flash, we're coming with you. Sagam Tiprak Rapay. And a footnote reminds us to... Read Zatanna's mystic commands backwards. But obviously, we'll just quickly translate that as magic carpets appear. And a super speed scrutiny of the small isle reveals... Flash Red Tornado and Zatanna on her flying carpet come into view and spot another familiar figure also dressed in red. Tornado says, Look, on the crest of that hill, the object of our quest. Right, Red Tornado. That's our boy. Speedy. Hey, Speedy, over here. You've got company. But as the boy Bowman moves toward his three friendly pursuers... (gasps) Something's happened to him. He's... he's... Speedy has become a centaur. Red Tornado there telling us what we see, that the lower half of Roy's body is that of a white horse. He still is his one quiver of arrows, of course, and he draws an arrow and fires it at the other heroes. What sorcery could have caused such a... And Flash speeds her out of the way, saying, Heads up, Zatanna, or you may not live long enough to find out. And then a voice off panel suddenly says, Cease! Who dares trespass upon the Isle of Aiea? Tornado whirls his head and says, What? And in panel two, there's the reveal of a very slinky and sexy lady in a very fitted long green dress and She's holding a wand. She introduces herself, saying, I am the sorceress Circe, and these are my faithful servants. She's surrounded before young men who've been afflicted in a similar way to Speedy. There's one lad who has the body of a lion, another seems to have the, the horns of a bull. Zatanna observes, Of course. According to Greek legend, Circe had the power to turn ordinary men into hybrid animals. That's what you've done to Speedy. Quite correct, wench. He is far more manageable this way. But what do you want here on Circe's Isle? The Flash points towards Speedy, saying, We have come for him, sorceress. The centaur stands beside you. Return him to his normal state and we will leave you in peace. Certainly, Spawn of Mercury. If you want your friend's companionship so dearly, you shall have it. By joining him in my menagerie. And as she says this, Circe gestures with her wand towards Speedy's quiver. Flash spots this and says... Brace yourselves, group. She's planning something tricky. Speedy has drawn an arrow that glows with a pink energy. Cersei says, Indeed I am. I've enchanted the young bowman's shafts. Should an arrow so much as touch you, you shall become that which is most repugnant to you. Off panel, the Flash says, She means it. Everyone, scatter. Speedy can't hit all of us. And three twangs of a long bow later. 
we see the Flash speeding away, being chased by a glowing green arrow, and he's thinking, that glowing arrow's enchanted. No matter how I dodge and weave, it follows right along behind me. I'm starting to catch up. Better pour on the super speed. But even before the Crimson Comet can complete his thought, the blunt tip shaft strikes him squarely, and... The Flash is transformed. Barry says out loud, Good Lord, my wife Iris used to call me the slowest man alive, and how right she now is. I've become half-snail. Listeners, I have to tell you, this is grotesque. Yes. His legs have gone, but his body sort of stops at his belt, and it just joins into the body of a snail, and he has developed antenna at the front of his head, and it's just, oh, it's horrible. It's very distressing. The caption for panel three reads, While halfway across the island... Zatanna, back on her flying carpet, is trying to outrace another arrow. And Zatanna thinks, That brick wall I conjured up isn't slowing the arrow down. Unless I quickly come up with the proper spell, it'll be... too late! And she's struck. And then Zatanna is also transformed. She thinks, The arrow turned me into a hummingbird. To make matters worse, it's frozen my vocal cords. I can't utter a counteracting spell. And indeed... Her arms have turned into wings, and miming wings, for the benefit of our YouTube viewers, and her lower body has changed into a tail section. Weird, but not quite as grotesque as the Flash, and, interestingly, her hat stays on. (laughs) Caption for the next panel. And for the third target... Red Tornado is whirling away, and as he sees what's happened to the Flash, he thinks... Speedy's arrow is like a heat-seeking missile following me wherever I go. Eh? I see Flashy's arrow has caught up to him. Got to help. But as the red tornado storms to Flashy's side... And Reddy is also caught by his arrow, saying... The diversion let the magical arrow overtake me, hit me, give me the body of a mole. And the implication here is terrifying to me, quite frankly. The merging of robot body and mole flesh, like his hands yeah. and arms have turned into like, you know, big claws. The same has happened to his feet. You'd look at this panel and be forgiven for thinking <laughs> that his cape merges into his lower quarters. It's mm. hideous. Mm. The Flash, who's there, he's quite chipper about it all. He says, Welcome to the club, Reddy. You try spinning now and you'll drill yourself into the ground. Cersei says, A fitting fate, is it not, Fleet One? And we see her with Speedy beside her. Flash says, Cersei, why have you done this to us? We meant you no harm. No, you wanted my young centaur, and no one may touch what is Cersei's with impunity. You shall remain as you are until you die, a fate not long in coming. Her wand again glows as she continues. Under my enchantment, you two shall battle unto death, as a lesson to others who would seek to annoy Cersei. Red Tornado says, Can't help myself. Cersei is forcing me to obey. Flash and Red Tornado turn to face each other and start twirling and spinning their hands at each other. Cersei has climbed onto Speedy's centaur back, and as he rides off, she says, It should be a splendid super speed struggle. Would that I could remain to witness it. But there are other matters that demand Cersei's attention immediately. The sorceress gallops off into the distance, leaving behind two struggling victims of her magic. And one almost forgotten in the heat of the moment. Zatanna hovers above the battling and whirling Retonado and Flash. And she thinks, Got to find a way to stop them before they kill each other. The winds they're creating are knocking me around like a ping-pong ball. Wait a minute. That humming. My wings. Vibrating at this incredible speed create a sound. If I can control that noise, I might be able to duplicate the sound of my voice 
and counteract Cersei's spell. Desperately, the mistress of the occult experiments with her newly gained pinions, performing countless different maneuvers in an attempt to achieve a variety of sounds. This is a great panel. I hope there's room for it in the socials. A nice, fantastic little montage of Zatanna flying around and making different noises to try and create something. Until, at last... Zatanna has managed to sound the words. Sicken, foe, and sweet, Which translates as, magic of Cersei, be gone. And Zatanna thinks to herself, Thank the stars, it's working. Flash and Red Tornado are returning to normal. And as Cersei's magic wears off Zatanna herself... Zatanna drops. Flash catches her as her arms and legs return to normal. She says, Thanks for the handy net, Flash. It's difficult staying aloft without wings. So I noticed. Do me a favour, Zatanna. Next time you cancel an enchantment, make sure you're standing on the ground. Need I remind you, we still have Speedy to rescue. I haven't forgotten Tornado. In fact, I figured out how to do it. A short while later, in the gracious temple that is the island's sole structure... We see Cersei and her menagerie, and the Flash arriving to confront her, as he's saying, I've come back for my friend, Cersei, and this time I'm taking him. To you again, Scarlet One. You learn your lessons hard. For your insolence, I will turn you into a lowly earthworm. Red Tornado starts twirling his arms as he says, I wouldn't do that, sorceress. His wife wouldn't like it. And I'll take your wand. You're too dangerous to have a loaded weapon. No, it cannot be, says Cersei as the wand flies from her hand and Zatanna says, Why say that, Cersei, when it obviously is? Iswiss imoke dezillerap. Which obviously translates to Cersei become paralysed. At Zatanna's command, Cersei becomes motionless, and almost instantly... Yes, we see the effects of her magic starting to wear off for all the boys that she had captured. Speedy rubs his head. The effect of this starts to take place, and he says... Where am I? What's happened? Who who are you? Flash replies, It's a long story, Speedy. We'll fill you in later. Right now, we have to dispose of Cersei. And at this point, Red Tornado snaps her wand, and he says... I've taken care of that, Flash. Without a wand, she is powerless. With her wand no more, Cersei's pets are regaining their true forms. Yes, we see all the the boys shedding their animal forms and returning to normal. There's nothing left to keep us here. Except for the problem how to find our way back home, says the Flash. Suddenly... Looks like Oracle solved that problem for us. We're fading out, says Zatanna, as the heroes seem to float up and dissolve into blue smoke. Speedy says, Hey, what's going on here? I don't understand any of this. You will, youngster, assuming we return to our world in time. In the hands of all-knowing Oracle, time is a celestial clay to be sculptured as he sees fit. Now he folds the clay in upon itself, gathering the scattered edges, bringing the greatest assortment of super-beings ever recorded to the Justice Society's sanctuary. A very impressive image of all the heroes who've been rescued and all the heroes who've found them, all the members of the JSA and the Seven Soldiers and the special guest stars. I shall recap quickly. We see the Crimson Avenger, Sandman, Metamorpho, Hawkman, Doctor Midnight, Hourman, Starman, The Shining Knight, The Flash, Stripesy, Doctor Fate, Wildcat, Elongated Man, Two Green Arrows, Green Lantern, The Atom, Superman, Batman, Red Tornado, if I haven't said him already, Aquaman, Zatanna, Speedy, Black Canary, Wonder Woman, Star Spangled Kid, Johnny Thunder, and Vigilante. And in the midst of all this, Superman says, All present and accounted for. And the Flash says, The Seven Soldiers of Victory, together, once again. And then Johnny Thunder says, But 
If the seven soldiers are all here, who's buried in the unknown soldier's tomb? And he's answered by Mr. Terrific, who arrives and says, We can answer that, Johnny. Green Lantern? Robin? Mr. Terrific? Where have you been? And then Robin answers, To the top of the Himalayas, where we discovered... But he's interrupted by the Crimson Avenger, who says, No, friend. Let me tell everyone what you found. The unknown soldier of victory is my aide and companion, Wing. It was he who died to defeat the Nebula Man. And if there is any justice in this world, he was buried where he fell, with honours. Green Lantern Alan Scott puts a supportive hand on a crimson shoulder and says, He was indeed, Crimson Avenger. Holy men from a nearby temple witnessed the battle, and laid your friend to rest when it was over. He was as brave a man as ever lived. You have a right to be proud of him. Nobody will live long enough to be proud, says Wildcat. Unless we get to work rebuilding the weapon that Wing used to defeat the Nebula Man. A wildcat is answered off-panel by a voice saying, You'll do nothing, friends, if you value this pretty lady's life. Vigilante whirls and asks, Who? The owner of the voice is revealed in the first panel of page 20. A Superman exclaims, Diana! And the Crimson says, And the Iron Hand, our old arch-enemy. But that Jasper's supposed to be dead. Not dead, Vigilante. Merely damaged with an iron hand as proof. The iron hand is holding Diana Prince by the throat with his left hand and has the index finger of his right iron hand pointed at her head as he continues, An iron hand that shall scatter Diana Prince all over the countryside if anyone here is so foolish as to make a threatening move towards me. And in case you doubt my hand's power, and with that he points upwards, fires an explosive charge with a like that bit in Android Invasion when the Doctor asks if the finger's loaded. That's maybe <laughs> maybe Terry Nation read this comic. Later on. Diana suddenly tips forward, clutching her shoulder, saying, Please, you wouldn't. Oh, I, I, I think I'm going to faint. Huh? exclaims the hand. For an instant, the iron hand is distracted. And that instant is all Diana Wonder Woman Prince needs. Diana whirls with a karate chop... She snaps the iron hand's iron hand, snaps over the wrist. He exclaims, my mechanical hand, you've severed it. Diana does a judo throw and flings the iron hand over her shoulder. He goes flying with an, ah! Consider yourself lucky. I could have done that to your neck. As we arrive at the top of page 21, Diana twists the hand's left arm behind his back. Batman says, Costumed or not, you're still a wonder, Diana. Diana not impressed. As she secures the hand on the ground, she replies, Save the compliments for later, bad man. Right now we need information. Talk, Iron Mouth! Tell us how to stop that colossal hand of yours, or I'll take you apart a bone at a time. Yes, Diana is quite literally talking to the hand. He replies, Do what you want, lady. It makes no difference now. The controls were in my shattered hand. I couldn't deactivate my creation now, even if I wanted to. We're doomed, you bloody fools! Everyone is doomed, Dr. Fate says. Perhaps not, villain. And he turns to the Star Spangle Kid in Shining Knight and says, If the Seven Soldiers can recreate the weapon they built to destroy our earlier menace, the Nebula Man, what say you, soldiers? Can it be done? And the Star Spangle Kid gets a nice big close-up as he says, It's a question of time. The weapon itself is a lightning rod of sorts, gathering nebuloid energy from space, then channeling it against the opposing nebula threat. 
but it takes time to charge completely. More time than we have. Superman replies, saying, You just build the Nebula Rod, kid. Let us worry about charging it. Sylvester replies, It's a deal. I'll get you a list of the materials we'll need. The ticking of the clock is a staccato death knell as the greatest heroes of two worlds are put to the test. Swiftly, the genius of the Star-Spangled Kid and his fellow soldiers of victory reconstruct the amazing Nebula Rod. And we see Star-Spangled Kid, Speedy and the Shining Knight constructing the device, which looks like it very much like an enormous sort of metallic cake icer to me. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, it looks like something from Frankenstein's laboratory. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah, you can expect it looks like some kind of big pointy conduit. Mm. And we see the Star Spangled Kid handing the, the rod to Superman. I, I like the difference in size in them here. It's, yes. it's quite nice. It's, it's cool. The captioning continues. Then the completed weapon is given into the waiting hands of Superman to be carried into the endless depths of space. There to be charged with the awesome energies of the universe. And we see Superman, Doctor Fate and both Green Lanterns in space. Dr. Fate is lifting one hand and the nebula rod is glowing, so that's presumably what's going on. And at last, mankind's final hope of survival stands ready to use. As the Crimson Avenger explains to everyone else, we can see the Red Tornado standing in the background examining the nebula rod. The Crimson is saying, The nebula rod must be delivered by hand into the heart of the menace, but that produces a major problem, for nothing human could survive the resulting explosion. Superman replies, saying, That's no problem. I'm invulnerable to everything. Ow! A little lightning burst blasts at his chest from Dr. Fate, who says, Everything saved magic, Superman. In the background, we see the Red Tornado is still contemplating the Nebula Rod. Green Lantern Hal Jordan says, Then I'll go. My power ring will protect me from the blast. Green Lantern Alan Scott says, So would mine. Why shouldn't I go? But in the next panel, the Earth One Green Arrow shoots them both down, saying, but neither of your rings would protect you from this. A yellow wooden arrow. A combination of both your weaknesses. And so Justin, the Shining Knight, offers... Nor would Merlin's magic armor protect me from destruction. And Green Lantern, Alan Scott, asks in frustration... Then what exactly can we do? But Batman answers JL, saying... Nothing. The problem has been solved for us. Batman is holding a piece of paper. The Flash exclaims... What? The Nebula Rod is gone! Starman says, And so is the Red Tornado. Black Canary, thinking ahead, says, Oh no, he couldn't have. But he did. He took the Nebula Rod and left this note in its place. The Wonder Woman of Earth 2 says, What does it say, Batman? And, surrounded by other heroes, Batman starts to read. My friends, when you read this, it will be too late to stop me. I have taken the nebula rod and gone to face my destiny alone. You said nothing human could do what must be done and survive. Then perhaps I have a better chance than most. Panel 4 shows the red tornado whirling through space with the nebula rod in his hand. In the distance is the earth in the grasp of the giant green hand as Batman continues to read. An android is not human. If I perish, all that will be lost is some circuitry and gears. If I am successful, I will see you all soon. If I am not, remember me, your friend, the Red Tornado. That's all it says. Batman scrunches up the note. Wonder Woman and Canary can be seen looking very distressed as Black Canary says, Maybe it's not too late. Maybe there's still time to help him. 
I'm afraid nothing can help him now. And the sounds of muffled weeping are lost amid the echoes of the blast. A slow dissolve. And a short while later... Superman, Starman and Doctor Fate flying back into views. Hawkman and Aquaman are watching, Hawkman says. How did it go up there? Superman replies, they vanished. Both of them. The Nebulite Hand and Red Tornado. Starman says, The force of the explosion must have torn each of them to atoms. A very sad and forlorn-looking Hourman says, All the times I put him down, consider him just a machine. He was more of a man than any of us. The Crimson puts a hand on his shoulder and says, I know how you feel, our man. I lost a good friend, too. And the final panel of the story shows the assembled heroes looking up to the sky as the Crimson concludes, And somewhere, somehow, Red Tornado and Wing both know how we feel. And in the sky, we see large images of Red Tornado and Wing waving farewell to their friends. And a caption reads, Next issue, a stranger walks among us. There we have it, the conclusion. Mm. Of the 1972 Justice League, Justice Society, Seven Soldiers of Victory crossover. We'd like to thank all of our friends and fellow podcasters for joining in and taking part. We hope you enjoyed contributing to this as much as I didn't enjoy editing it. (laughs) In the meantime, make sure you follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram. We're at the Earth 2 Podcast and at Twitter we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. Absolutely. Be assured, listeners, when we get to Christ and Infinite Earths, we are not going to be doing every single line of dialogue with everyone being voiced by a different character because that would kill us. Don't you don't just get that get that idea out of your head right now. We 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 we'll <laughs> see how we get on. But you know, going forward, depending on, on the practicalities of it, we may get we may do some more episodes where we, we have some guest voices. Obviously there are other JLA JSA crossovers with Cast of Thousands, so we'll see how we got on with those. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Time will tell. It always does on that bombshell. I've been Peter. And I've been David. You've been listening to The Earth Two Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. It should be a splendid super speed struggle. <laughs> Would this I could remain to witness it. But there are other matters that demand Cersei's attention immediately. I look forward to us getting review bombed when Christine is unable to record Cersei's lines and we have to use your dialogue. <laughs> It was really good, but the performance is saucy by Peter really took me out of it. Sagam to trap. There you go. This is your first outtake. Sagam. Lend me your staff, friend. I'd better teach the local welcome wagon a lesson in hospitality. Hospitality? <laughs> Come on, that's easy. I know, I know, I know. <clears throat> have, you, have you been rehearsing? <laughs> Lend me your staff, friend. I'd better teach the local welcome wagon a lesson. <laughs> You've made me laugh now. Lend me your staff, friend. I'd better teach the local welcome wagon. <laughs> <laughs>